does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So, on a packed Wednesday in terms of the show, because the president of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard, is going to join us today. Hall of Famer Gene Cady is going to join us today. Stephen Holder to talk NFL draft. I thought it was important to make sure that we're up and going and everything's aligned. So, leave the house and... Drive down. It's a gorgeous morning. The sun already starting to rise. The air is very clear. Perfect temperatures. Just everything going perfect. No jacket again. No jacket. And for those that are unaware, our parking garage, you enter off of Illinois, but there's actually an alley that you can come from Capitol across and just go right into it. You have to cross Illinois, obviously. So this morning, I, I, I get to the parking garage and there's... There are two cars trying to enter the parking garage in the left lane. Now, the right, I have a card for the right lane. The more exclusive pass. <laughs> Correct. I still don't know how you pulled that off. I yeah, asked for I it. The, um, Mark and I go in the public, common folk the, here. <laughs> the Men the of le- the people. Yes. Uh-huh. The, the car number two of the left lane is, is just a little bit, understandably, waiting to see what's going on with the jackass that's holding up the line in the left lane. And so I'm waiting. Car number two has the sense to pull forward enough to allow me through into my fast pass lane. And I, as I'm pulling up, I look over, Kevin, and realize it's you Mm -hmm. who is being held up at the mercy of this card that's like trying to talk to the little squawk box. So I rolled down the window and said to you, uh, I'll go ahead and take it out of the first break since we have no idea what time you're actually going to get in the building. Right? Yeah, it sounded like peanuts talking to the car in front of me. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so so I go ahead and park. Then I get a text from Mark Dykton. Is that jackass? <laughs> Mark Dykton sends a text that says, can one of you guys let me in? I forgot my entry card. So I get on the elevator, and there are the two of you standing there, and we realized that it was Mark was the jackass that Mm -hmm. was holding up the line. Kevin was late because of Mark, and I just almost had to come in here and juggle everything. Well, look, I mean, it's a big show. We've got a lot of big guests. I said, what better way to start this Wednesday than have a team-building exercise? (laughs) So I took it upon myself to purposely leave my wallet at home. Mark, and I, I just thought we'd see what happened. This isn't the first time. This is not, no. Was, <laughs> this week it's not. I know. <laughs> to Jake and headsets to you and your wallet. I know. It's quite often that I'm just like, oh, I left that at home, I guess. So. Don't you, you know what you need is a little, um, do you have like a little, I think they call it a um, a, a concierge that you set on top of your nightstand mm-hmm. that has like your watch and oh, is this well, see, pot, I put, keys. Is this pot kettle black from the credential guy? I put my That's uh, good point. I put my wallet in our in this drawer that we have a little side table at by our front door because our youngest daughter likes to go through my wallet and just take cash and credit cards and throw it everywhere. So I have to hide it, but then I end up forgetting it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Rosie's fascinated by the wallet as well. I I've mean, gone just the sticky thing on the back of the phone, put the card in there. Okay. You know, my my phone's always going to be with me. I I probably have forgot my wallet as well, so I just throw that against the old 
uh, box when we pull in, and boom. I'm old school office space guy where my my entry card goes on a lanyard around my neck. But it's kind of a goofy look when you walk around. Boy, but I was getting nervous there. I'm thinking to myself, man, Kevin Pritchard at 8 and Gene Cady at 9, not to disparage any other guests that we have, but this is kind of one that I want to show up for on time. Again, we all passed this morning. We're here. Survive in advance, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the team building exercise clearly working out. Uh, Man, it is perfect outside. Absolutely perfect. Roy G. Biv above Riley Towers. That's how it's been all week long. Absolutely another glorious day here in Indianapolis. And really looking forward to not only today's show, but I think we can go ahead and tease tomorrow. We're going to have Bob Costas join us at 9 o'clock tomorrow. Um, so really looking forward to that conversation with obviously one of the all-time greats can go in so many different directions with him. And today we got the Hall of Famer. That is Gene Cady joining us at 9 and Kevin Pritchard to wrap up the Pacers season. He had his kind of season-ending presser yesterday. And Jake, he sounds like a guy that is ready to be, I would say, a little bit more aggressive this offseason than maybe he thought he would be this time last year. Um, I loved a few of his comments from yesterday in that we've got five picks. There's no way we'll spend all five of those picks on players. You just don't have room for five different players on your roster. So obviously some wheeling and dealing will happen there. Um, And I think one of the things that the Pacers have got to kind of look long and hard at, yes, you want to find another piece to go alongside. Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, etc., But I think this year, just the wheels fell off when Tyrese Halliburton got hurt. So if and when you do suffer losses within a season, and every NBA team does, how can you withstand that? And I think finding another kind of lead guy that can help your record when you lose your best player uh, would be pretty advantageous. You know, when you look at the the free agent list for this year, you know, I don't know that there's anybody that that you think like, man, if they could just like... You're talking about outside the building? Correct. Because he was basically saying, like, look, between the the excessive picks and everything else, you know, we might have in, in the cap space, we might have the ability to go out and, and kind of try to pursue some guys. But let me let me just throw you a couple of names. You tell me if any of these like truly like you're like, oh, man, that'd be huge. I mean, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. I, I don't know that I'd people are going to think I'm crazy. They're both wonderful talents. I don't know that I'd necessarily Harden immediately is off the board just because of the price tag. I mean, no way I'd spend that. Um, or probably acknowledge too, it's kind of a two-way street with those guys. I can't imagine that. Totally, yeah, that's a great, great point. And and Kyrie Irving is a wonderful talent, but he's almost running out of places yeah, to go. Mm-hmm. Right? I'd rather um, run over the parking garage than have Kyrie <laughs> Irving here. D'Angelo Russell, um, Draymond Green. How about? Nikola Vucevic, I, I can never say his last name, from Chicago. Yeah, he's Vucevic, a good, yeah I, I just think Turners are big now. Yeah, you don't that's do fair. The too big song and dance again. I mean, Fred Van Fleet, I, you know, there's nobody. In other words, there are a lot of like kind of complimentary pieces. I don't know that there's anybody that you look at and you go, oh, whoa, like that's exactly what they need. Yeah, I got more of the impression yesterday, and again, we can ask him here in less than an hour that, you know, when he was talking about acquiring guys, you know, I think he's open minded to trades. And yeah. typically in this market, that's kind of been the route yeah, that's you have fair. to go down. Um, he mentioned yesterday that they made two big offers at the trade deadline. Uh, they obviously did not go through. I, I would assume that OG Ananobi was one of those offers. Um, that is a guy that when you talk about what is missing from this basketball team, I think his skill set is pretty much what you would want. You know, that that two-way kind of wing defender, 
Um, certainly help you out on the defensive end of the floor, uh, be a rebounder for you. I think that is exactly what the missing pieces are. So looking forward to that conversation. And Gene Katie coming up at 9 o'clock. Always enjoy talking with the Hall of Famer. Uh, so we'll do that here. Him, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich. I'm trying to think who else is going in this year in the hoop hall. It's a pretty good class. I think Dirk. Did you see the pictures of Gene Katie at the Final Four? Just rocking his Purdue sweatsuit. Oh, it's great. I mean, he's he's been... Everybody's shirt and tie. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Katie's been a real ambassador for Purdue in the last five years or so, right? I mean, he's... I'm sure it helps that Matt Painter's course on the sidelines. You know, we chatted with Bruce Weber right before the start of the tournament. You know, he was with Gene at the, at the Big Ten tournament for different moments there. and I did see Matt Painter had a few public comments... I think it's the first time he's spoken publicly since the Fairleigh Dickinson loss. And I believe it was Dana O'Neill. Might be someone that we could look at getting on, Mark. Um, I think Matt Painter, and again, right now, all you can do is really use your words. Your actions, obviously, will be the uh, tell-all come next March. But I think the words, if I were a Purdue fan, I would be somewhat pleased by. Again, nothing's going to cure all, but I think Matt Painter is saying the, hey, I, I, you can't be tone deaf. I would be a fool not to make some subtle changes to what we have right now. We need more athleticism. We need more quickness. It's the same team with a different name that beats us. Small, quick guards. They they beat us. So how can we tweak that? How can we adjust that? You know, obviously Miles Colvin from Heritage Christian. I know a lot of people, including Matt. I think views very highly from an athleticism standpoint. I know there are a few whispers about the Brownsburg kid caning catchings and potentially decommitting from Purdue. I don't know how true those are, but that would be something to keep an eye on because I think he's a very, very talented player and has the type of skill set Purdue desperately needs. The Hall of Fame class, by the way, this is pretty good company for Gene Katie to go in with. You had mentioned uh, Tony Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, Pau Gasol going in as well. Um, Got great international flavor. Dwayne Wade. Yes, that was right. And then you go to the coaches that are going in. Greg Popovich, Gary Blair, um, Gene Bess, and Jim Valvano. Jim Valvano going in as contributor. Both a coach and a player, but that's the category in which he was selected contributor. I'm surprised he wouldn't already have been in. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, but that's a pretty good class. And Gene Cady, certainly deserving. I, I think one of the more under... You know, I would say that he was an underrated or underappreciated coach during his tenure, Kevin, except for that during the majority of his tenure, he was labeled as the underrated, underappreciated guy. And eventually, you you mention that enough of somebody, you're actually appreciating them and rating them. You know what I mean? So he is at 9 o'clock again. Kevin Pritchard at 8. How about the Hawks last night? Boy. That was pretty impressive. And we, I thought, you know, we had said, I think all three of us yesterday had collectively said, I mean, we didn't need lost cards for team bonding yesterday because we all three, I think, agreed that we thought the Lakers and Just the Just thought Heat, the home teams would get it done. Yeah. And when I went to bed, I'm like, man, we're going to go 0 for 2 because Minnesota was kind of in control against the Lakers. And then I wake up and I'm like, what do you know? L.A. in overtime and LeBron with like a 30-10 game. I mean, you know. 
Yeah, Timberwolves blow a 15-point lead. That has been their story all season long. So the Lakers win in OT. Anthony Davis did foul Mike Conley on a three at the buzzer uh, to force the game at overtime. The T-Wolves are down three. Conley hit all three of them. Kind of felt for Conley, especially if they lose on Friday. You know, you get traded from Utah to Minnesota thinking, oh, wow, I'm in a much more of a win-now situation. And now they will play to keep their season alive later this week. So just to update everyone on the play-in format, again, with the wins last night, Atlanta moves on to play Boston. That'll be a 2-7 series. Memphis will take on the Lakers. You talk about storylines galore in that matchup, the Grizzlies and Lakers. Obviously, Memphis probably much more off the floor than anything. So that's the 2-7 matchup out west. Uh, For Minnesota and for Miami, they will play later this week to keep their seasons alive and be the 8th seed. So tonight you have the games that are you need to win to have a chance at the 8th seed. That would be the Pelicans and the Thunder and the Raptors and the Bulls. I saw a really funny tweet yesterday from someone that said, all of these NBA play-in games need to be played in Dayton. <laughs> Should they be on True TV? That's, all, all on True TV, that's right. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so yeah, the Lakers win in overtime, 108-102, and very impressive by the Hawks last night. They dominated the glass. Their bench was really good. I kind of forgot that Cody Zeller was on the heat. Yeah. Uh, you know, he when they acquired him... Un bucket in three minutes. Oladipo scoreless in nine. When Cody Zeller was acquired, he he had a couple of good games, just kind of working the pick and roll in Miami, and then, you know, I, he is what he is, right? Just a a role player, obviously at at best. And Oladipo, I I thought about that, Kevin. I looked it up last night just to see how his season went. Ten and seven per game, probably about you know considering the injuries that he's coming off of. That's still pretty impressive. I mean, obviously he's still a good player. But you do feel for him to an extent, even though I think Oladipo listened to a lot of the wrong people here. You know, we don't have to go over all of that, but and the injury. Well, that's what I mean. And then, then the you, you throw the injuries into it, um, combined with not taking money when it was there for him. You want to talk about a gamble and a loss? My understanding is Oladipo has been very smart with his money. Has a lot of investments that have done well for him. And I mean, even the money that, that you're talking about, it's not like these guys are. are you know, all of a sudden, like asking to couch surf at friends' houses, but still, you know, he he had an opportunity to be a close to probably hundred million dollar guy, maybe not that high, but close, and instead is kind of on year you know year deals. You know what I mean? Can't believe the Thunder in the plan. Well, they've had. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, Kevin, but dating back to I think it's twenty nineteen. Forty uh, percent of first-round draft picks in the NBA have gone to the Oklahoma City <laughs> Thunder. Certainly seems like it. I mean, remember Chet Holmgren's foot injury back last summer? I mean, he didn't even play for him. I know. This season, and, and don't you kind of wonder how? Like, you totally forget about him. Yeah, I just purely for curiosity's sake. I, I'd love to see him healthy to see how he will do at this level. Um, I saw it was the first time in NBA history that we have all four California teams in the playoffs. And the first time in NBA history, we do not have any Texas teams in the playoffs. Okay, so wait a minute. So you're saying it's the first time that those two events have happened in the same year or literally the first time either has happened and it happens to be in the same year? Yeah, either. Interesting. 
Yeah, I guess from the Texas standpoint in particular, you know, San Antonio for the last 20 years has been kind of a staple. Even I mean, Dallas and Houston have been a pretty routine participant. I know yeah. Houston not as much lately. And then out west, you know, when the Kings weren't the laughing stock, I mean, certainly the Clippers and the Warriors have taken their turns as being a little bit of that. By the way, is Houston the most overlooked and underrated, to use a Gene Cady term, is Houston the most forgotten about major city in the U.S.? Yeah, I just think it. I'm not a fan of going there at all. Way too spread out for me. It, well, as I mentioned before, for those that have never been to Houston, I always liken it to this, Kevin, and I know we mentioned this on the air. If you take Keystone at the Crossing and imagine that that's like a little droplet of water, okay? It literally, go out to a, you know, whatever, 30-square-mile area of flatland, take a paintbrush, and just dab, like slap down 150 different droplets of water like Keystone at the Crossing, and boom, that's Houston. It's just like this spread out. That's a great way to describe it. I I, I don't know how else to describe it other than that, right? I mean, it's just... But literally, when people talk about big cities and big markets in sports in the United States, they're like, oh, you know, the New York and L.A. teams and Miami and Chicago. And it's like, Houston's like the third biggest city in the country. No state income tax. I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to to lure talent there. And they have over the years, but... um, from all same with the texans like how are the texans such a dumpster fire you think they'd be able to build something eventually right in a football crazy state like that nfl free agency is weird though i i don't think it's anywhere near the level of chase the big markets well that's you know like it is in that's the NBA definitely true or even a major league baseball um, speaking of markets i was surprised by a couple of things that came out yesterday from a tv ratings standpoint i i should say I was surprised by one, wasn't surprised by the other. What I'm not surprised by is we had the WNBA draft on Monday. Obviously, Leah Boston joined the show yesterday. Second most watched WNBA draft of all time. Most watched since 2004. What was, and I'm trying to think, was there something big in 2004? I don't know if that was Tarasi or, you know. I was going to, yeah. I, I, I don't know who would have been drafted that year, but. Second most watched WNBA draft in nearly two decades. You got to think what we saw in the Final Four and just all year in the women's game played into some of that. And it's not even like Caitlin Clark was in this draft. 2004 was Diana Taurasi. Uh, or, or Angel Reese was in that draft. It, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Up 42% from last year. The one that did surprise me. CBS said the final round of the Masters was the most watched golf telecast on any network in five years. Well, Kevin, how often, and I think the answer to this, what I'm about to ask, is probably usually, but how often does the finals of the Masters fall on Easter Sunday? Is it? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't think it's very annually. Because I think that is a contributor because yeah. you have families that are getting, you know, you've gone, people have gotten together and, you know, done church and then maybe like brunch or whatever, had the the kids Easter egg hunt, yeah, et cetera. And then by the time you get together, like with our family, I think we got together at five and that was, you know, the last hour and a half of the Masters. And so it was on and everyone's watching it. Yeah, you know? that is that is a good point. I, you know, I think golf faces this massive question about, you know, who takes the torch from Tiger? 
and how are you able to move the needle? Obviously, Tiger wasn't even in the tournament on Sunday, so you didn't have him from a rating standpoint. You know, if you go back five years, Tiger has played in the hell, he's won a Masters in the last five years. So you're telling me that that telecast on Sunday was bigger than Tiger winning the Masters in 2019? Again, I realize that the time difference was a little bit off in 2019 they played in the morning due to rain so that i know plays into some things but um if you are the game of golf right now i think you got to be pretty pleased about that so in your opinion kevin putting your tiger t-shirt aside for a second so disappointing i couldn't get the speedo the (laughs) the three I had searched on Amazon. They were all that could easily could have uh, showed up overnight. Well, I think they were probably sold out because there are at least fourteen radio st- morning shows that have more advanced planning than the three of us. Thus, why we're fifteenth in the rankings, right? Gosh, are we that high? What are we up to, Mark? Do we know? I don't we, remember. Twenty second, I think, is what we were. Right? Did we move? I think After we our team building exercise, I assume. T- I think we bumped the top to 10. eighteen. I yeah. think we're the eighteenth middle market morning show. Uh, in the country closing in moving in quickly on peoria tulsa we're coming for you next (laughs) uh who are the three biggest stars kevin in pga golf right now aside from tiger woods pga tour or you including live well let's say uh we'll say combined because we'll go with you know of the majors yeah i think um i think rory rory spieth and still phil mickelson not Scheffler? I, I don't think he moves a needle. Maybe Rom, and maybe a- Kepka, but even then, you are stretching a little bit. And obviously, you didn't really have Spieth up there. You know, he kind of backdoored it. You didn't have Rory, of course, playing. Phil was a late. I bloomer. think one of the I, things. I, that- do you think this is any PGA Live stuff? You think it, that's any of it? A, a little bit. I, again, I go back to. I think the. I think that's pretty over when you get into kevin when you're talking about massive ratings like that that means that you have people um following it or watching that are not necessarily diehards and i don't know how much the non-diehards totally are dialed into or really care about the live pga thing i'll tell you one thing that pga has and and, or golf i mean again including golf and you like it that's right. I, one thing that professional golf has that I think a lot of sports need, certainly IndyCar for 20 years has needed, and I'm saying that only because of the split. There's the analogy there. But golf has villains. And and it, whether you like it or not, people like to watch it. You, you know, Brooks Kepka's a villain. People don't like him. They think he's arrogant. They think he's a live guy. They think he's... He, that he's too sure of himself, whatever it might be. There was a whole text thread with my high school text thing of people talking about that they don't like Brooks Kepka. You know, Patrick Reed has had controversy and is seen as a brat and a guy that doesn't get along with his family and whatever else. Dustin Johnson had the issues and he he people don't like him because he's married to Wayne Gretzky's daughter, who's like the most beautiful woman on the planet, etc., etc. So. Kevin, that plays into it, right? You got good guys, bad guys. People well, love that drama. And now the issue is, for a month, the bad guys go back to live. Yeah, and that's your issue. Um, you don't get that drama until the majors. I think you have conflict, mm-hmm. but I think that makes again, that's not on a weekend, week out basis. You've got three majors left this year. 
and you know how TV ratings evolve from there. But the thing about golf that's always been so you know critical, and Jake, I know IndyCar battles this big time. What do you know about golf? You know that every single Sunday at four o'clock, it's going to be on CBS or NBC. Yeah, and that's huge. That is absolutely huge for just the common fan to say, I know full well that I can just flip on the tube Sunday afternoon and probably get a nap in while watching golf. Yeah, uh, that it's the same as summer nights in Major League Baseball, sure. right? Sure, the exact same. Right now, my athletics are sleeping, by the way. <laughs> but don't sleep on them. You don't win the pennant in April. I saw that, yeah, Jake's Orioles and your athletics were going at it. I was like, oh, man. And then your Orioles were taking don't it to him. you fella, man. Like that, the, the hat, you know what, he's just saying, hey, root for me, please. Would you like to redraft, But Kevin? when he gets on the field, team, um, no, I'm going to stick by the, somebody's got to stand up for the small markets. Yeah, Oakland's a small market, all right. It's like 17 million people in the Bay Area. Small market. I think the average attendance is 17. Well, that's on them. For the year. <laughs> uh, everything good on the Boo front with his vet visit? Thank you for asking. Boo was fantastic. He... I, I was really nervous about how to put him in his little crate, and you know, people are like, "Oh man, you need to wear like, you know, dishwashing gloves and you know, going in there with oven mitts." Basically, look like a beekeeper trying to get him in. I opened the crate; he walked right in. He literally like walked that. in, and then we got to the vet. He, I opened it up. He came out. I mean, he was a little nervous at the vet itself, but they gave him. A shot here and there and looked over everything and she said, no, nah, he looks good. And he literally walked right back in his crate and we got home and he was totally normal. So huge relief. All good. All good on the boot front. You I also don't it. own oven mitts because you've never used your oven before. <laughs> I do not own oven mitts. tarts out of the toaster. <laughs> I have toaster tongs for that, Kevin. SpaghettiOs? I mean, those can be difficult. <laughs> they, they are great, SpaghettiOs. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he's shaking his hands. <laughs> Boo, it's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful Wednesday here in Indianapolis. Enjoy the weather. It does look like it's going to turn at some point this weekend, but the next few days are uh, pretty darn good here. Again, Kevin Pritchard, 8 o'clock, Stephen Holder, 8.30, and Gene Cady at 9 o'clock. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Omaha! Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, we'll begin with Major League Baseball. Last night, Braves over the Reds, 7-6. So many one-run one losses for the Reds. I mean, big surprise here. The Reds at one point gave up like four. You know, they had a lead, gave up four unanswered runs. and The Reds actually, their staff is not terrible. Their bullpen needs some work. Stinks. Yeah. Worse than the athletics. Well, where are you going to go? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. They Cardinals. Should, they should put that dude in one of those batting cage machines and just turn it up to about a hundred and just see what happens. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? <laughs> that is. That is the most. Jake, that's happy opening day, Reds fans. <laughs> that is the most insane soundbite. And for those that are unfamiliar, that's part of the ownership group of the Cincinnati Reds. Picture Bob Ursay alive and Jim Ursay saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the first game of the season. <laughs> 81 more to go. Every hot dogs. Let me rip you for a minute. How about the Tampa Bay Rays, guys? Man, 7-2 last night over the Boston Red Sox. Rays now 11-0. and Two They're, teams in Major League history have started better than that. What is the record for most? 13-0. and 87 Brewers, 82 Braves started 13-0. and They have won. Neither 10, one won it, huh? 10 of their 11 games by at least four runs. Yeah, they're really good. 
elsewhere, by the way, the Cardinals over the Rockies, 9-6. It was Milwaukee over Arizona. Mark's Diamondbacks losing 7-1. Mm. Giants over the Dodgers, 5 nothing. Cubs, 14-9 over the Mariners. Mariners that, that got a late field goal. Insane. Did Look, you watch it? Yeah. The Mariners are up 7 nothing at the end of the second inning. And the Cubs ended up rallying and winning. Pirates over the Astros, 7-4. Indianapolis Indians beaten by the St. Paul Saints, 10-6. We did mention also cute fella, 12-8 over the Oakland Athletics. It's an early game over at Victory Field today. 11-05, I believe, first pitch for the Indians. All right, last night in the association, the Hawks and the Lakers, they are in the playoff bracket. The Hawks go into Miami. Really impressive performance, particularly in the first half. Great bench play for Atlanta. Clint Capello was absolute force on the glass. So they beat Miami. That means they will take on the Celtics in a 2-7 matchup. The Heat will await the winner of tonight's game between the Raptors and Bulls. So the loser of Raptors-Bulls, season over. The winner gets the right to play Miami. That will be later this week. And the winner of that matchup is the 8 seed taking on the Bucks. Out west last night, the Timberwolves, the undermanned Timberwolves by their own doing, they blew a 15-point lead Uh, At the end of regulation, though, the Lakers were actually up three. Anthony Davis fouled Mike Conley on a three with .1 to go. Conley hit all three free throws, but the Lakers won in overtime. So now we have the Lakers and Grizzlies in a 2-7 matchup. I would... Do you think the Lakers would be favored in that one? They might, because Memphis is clearly kind of backpedaling a little bit. But I think, Kevin, and I know he's older, and I know that health has been an issue and consistency maybe has been an issue, consistency of health. But when you've got LeBron, he had 30 and 10 last night. When he's playing at that level, if his body is able to uphold for a while, it's pretty hard to overlook them. It's it's hard to count them out of any game. Memphis, Memphis favored minus 130. So not a huge favorite, but. Grizzlies Lakers is the most intriguing first round matchup, is it not? Oh boy, I, yeah. I, I, I have a little there. sentimental poll for Kings Warriors. Only because the Kings kind of came out of nowhere, though, I think. Whereas, right, and, whereas LeBron, you've got an older LeBron, and they're the seventh seed against the Grizzlies, who obviously John Morant has had quite the season, and but they're kind of backpedaling. I feel like this. I feel like that's kind of pretty intriguing in and, my eyes. And again, I'm more of a LeBron guy than I would say most, but I, I'm going to go elsewhere for just a different storyline. You know, I, I get the LeBron storyline, mm-hmm. and, and it's a great storyline. And obviously, Memphis has had a ton off the floor, but. Kings Warriors to me, the Kings as the three seed guys, that is the biggest underdog in the last three decades in the NBA in round one. The Warriors are an overwhelming favorite. Said it before, I'll say it again. The Kings, the Tyrese Halliburton Domas Sabonis trade is one of those few trades where it just worked out perfectly for both teams. Win win. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Opened up playing time for the necessary parts, and both these uh, franchises have. Uh, tonight, by the way, Thunder Pelicans out west. Again, win to stay alive in that one. Uh, Colts offseason program is underway this week. Shane Steichen going to meet the media later today. It'll be the first time in a spring setting he has done that. We are two weeks and one day away from the NFL draft. We'll talk more about that. Stephen Holder in less than an hour. At the top of this hour, it'll be Kevin Pritchard joining us. And at 9 o'clock, the Hall of Famer Gene Katie, really looking forward to catching up with the coach coming up at 9. Kevin and Quarry. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On a beautiful Wednesday here in Indy. we got Kevin Pritchard joining us in about 20 minutes. He had his season-ending press conference yesterday. I do think a goal should be this time next year. The Pacers are certainly playing in the month of April. Um, it's kind of wild to think that it's been five years without a playoff win. I think it's eight years without a series victory for the Pacers. So I think you do need to start getting some tangible results to make sure that losing does not become a little bit more accepted. Um I did find an interesting comment he made yesterday, Jake, was he made it very clear that Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a part of thought process, decision-making process, those sorts of things for the Pacers this offseason. That is a far, far different tone than the old Larry Bird, Paul George don't make the decisions around here comment. I think in today's NBA, whether you agree or disagree with it, especially in a market like Indiana, your star better be involved. I think that Larry Bird, I don't think Larry Bird has a lot of regrets. And I don't know that Larry Bird probably loses a lot of sleep about it. But I think even Larry Bird would admit that the Paul don't make the decisions around here quote, probably one he'd like to walk back. Because in the end, guess what? Paul George said, hey, you sure about that? Because Paul George pretty much dictated what was going to happen with the Pacers with Paul George, right? And Oladipo, you know, it'll be interesting to ask Kevin Pritchard this. I think that Victor Oladipo's departure from here, I think, really hurt the Pacers both in terms of their, you know, their build, building as a team, but also kind of emotionally, because I really think they thought he was going to be here a long time. So does that change, Kevin? To your point, the approach with Halliburton—that'll be one of the things to ask him. Uh, but we'll do that in about 17 minutes from now. You had mentioned also, Kevin, uh, the Colts kind of reconvening. So, so run for me and those that are not around at what exactly takes place here with the next order of business from the team structure standpoint. Yeah, it's a voluntary off-season program, but usually that typically is attendance well north of 90%. I'd say pretty close to 100% attendance this time of year. It's a nine-week off-season program. The first two weeks are strength and conditioning. I think, and Mark, if you have it, actually, um, pull up the Colts. I think the Colts uh, put out a video of Shane Steichen's speech to the team yesterday. Um 
So basically, it's all these players reconvening, and you know, offensively, I would say that takes on even a bigger onus. Obviously, Steichen's overall message to the team will be different, but the offensive staff is entirely new outside of Reggie Wayne. Defensively, it's the same group, and you know, you have a new special teams coordinator and Brian Mason, the Notre Dame product, and the Zinesville high school grad. So this time of year, right now, a lot of strength conditioning, primarily meetings. Later this month, they can get on the field in kind of some individual position settings. And then in May, that is when you flip over to the 10 OTA sessions and then a mandatory mini camp in June. And at that point, you can do like 11 on 11, those sorts of things. You aren't donning full pads. You're not getting into you know any sort of tackling or things like that. But uh, that's pretty much how the offseason works gets mapped out obviously you'll have the draft here in two weeks you'll have a rookie minicamp off of that but uh, this is the first time that Shane Steichen has really had any chance to talk to maybe even some players but certainly a large group of players since he's been hired you know the old famous quote Edron James you know I only went to college for three years but I know what voluntary means but to your point Kevin even though it's voluntary it's kind of an understood, right? And I think, especially when you go four, twelve, and one, and and then it's a new coaching staff. Don't you always kind of look, regardless of what aspect of life you're in, whether you are a football player, whether you are an insurance salesperson, or whether you're an attorney, whatever it might be. Don't you kind of assess a little bit, like just the the commitment from your coworkers of of just gosh i know we don't have to be there but it probably is a decent look to show up and as a as a football player basketball whatever it might be don't you kind of want to be the guy that isn't letting down your teammate in other words i think you're putting yourself in a position to be critiqued if you if you're not there you know what if you if you're not there during the voluntary organized activities in the offseason that's totally your prerogative but then if all of a sudden you have a season that falls short of expectation aren't you kind of opening the door for that to come back to haunt you a little bit i don't think it reached like boiling levels but didn't we get a little bit of that with kenny moore last year yeah now kenny was there he wasn't participating but he was present you know a guy like yanni kangakwe i don't believe showed up until the mandatory mini camp um, I think, especially with contract disputes, and you know that was a question we asked Joel Erickson yesterday, you know, are you hearing anything on that end of it? And he said no. Um, and again, I don't think the Colts have any kind of obvious names that would fall into that category. But I think if you're going to choose to be public with that, and I think Kenny has some, some understandable regret in how he handled things last spring. Uh, Mark's found the audio. This was uh, via the Colts. This is Shane Steichen at the uh, first team meeting earlier this week. Man, I'm fired up to be here. Right, let's talk about building the culture here. Character is really important to me, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. That ain't hard, all right? And a lot of people in this room have been through some adversity to get here, right? It ain't easy sitting in the chairs you're sitting in. So make sure we're doing everything we can to do it the right way. So we got to have high character people in this room, and I believe we have that. I believe we have that. And number two is the preparation piece, right? I truly believe this. The separation in this league is in the preparation. How we prepare, all right, Monday through Saturday is ultimately going to dictate how we play on Sunday. That is a fact. And then number three is consistency. We got to be consistent with our message. 
Every single thing we do, we do it with a sense of purpose and we do it with a sense of urgency, right? And we gotta hold each other accountable. It's player to player, coach to coach, player to coach, all of that, right? Because it ain't about me. It ain't about you, it ain't about you, it ain't about you. It's about all of us doing it together. We gotta do it together. That's the bottom line. That's the only way we achieve success. That's it. We gotta do it that way. And then the fourth thing is relentless. How do we go just a little bit harder than our opponent? How are we gonna do that, right? It's up to us as players and coaches to get that done. When we're connected, we're committed. You guys see it in the locker room when you guys came in? When we're connected, we're committed. It's in the locker room, right? I truly believe this. When we're connected, right? The best teams you guys have been on from Pop Warner all the way to here, right? When you guys are when we're connected, you're gonna go just a little bit harder for the guy. That's a fact. All right, here we go, bring it up. <laughs> so Kevin, here's what I took from that, okay? Culture, character, adversity, do it the right way, high character, separation is preparation, or separation in preparation, consistency, purpose, uh, accountability, relentless, committed, connected. Every coaching bullet point known to man. You could walk into Staples or you could walk into one of those store, motivational stores in the mall and pull those out as three-by-five cards. But... So he called up Tom Allen and said, I, I need your pregame speech from the bucket game. What Shane Steichen says there and what he is talking about, there is not a single original thought in all of that. But the difference becomes, is he a guy that people buy into hearing it from? And he sounds like a guy that you kind of do. That sounded, it sounds authentic quite frankly and like for typically Tom, does on day one right well true but like for tom allen for indiana it, it sounds completely like he literally tom allen sounds like he slammed seven red bulls and then grabbed his note cards and just started reading them off right and <laughs> just the bobcat mark um but so i'm, I'm giving shane steichen credit by saying he sounds right there like a guy that people could buy into when he says those things. It's just a matter of maintaining that trust and belief in him yeah, for I, his roster. Yeah, I think I mentioned this when the hire happened and you you know heard even some Eagles players talk about Shane Steichen, the A.J. Browns, the Devontae Smiths, the Jalen Hurts of the world. Um, they really appreciated kind of his communication style. Um, concise, direct, and I think he – I think Shane Steichen finds a happy medium, Jake – from Nick Sirianni all the way to Frank Reich in that, you know, intelligence is of no question. Um, is he going to be Nick Sirianni emotional and fiery? Probably not to that degree, but I think if you're going to put him on a scale where Frank Reich is at a, let's just throw out a number, Frank Reich's at a zero and Nick Sirianni's at a hundred, I think Shane Steichen would sign, would side above 50. Yeah. A little bit closer to Sirianni than he would to Reich. And, Again, right or wrong, and I know, I guess this sounds a little bit Larry Bird, Frank Vogel-like, which I disagreed with because the roster turned over so much by Vogel's you know fourth season here. I think it was just time for a different voice, a different message. I think things were getting a bit stale, and that is where, obviously, Shane enters the fold, and you know he has made a very, and he said this, he's made a very concerted effort to hire a extremely young coaching staff 
on the offensive side of the ball. Now, with that, just naturally comes inexperience. And if you look at their position coaches, they've barely been in the NFL, certainly barely been in the league at a full-time position coach level. And Shane mentioned, like, part of the thinking there is today's athlete has changed a little bit. And you want to make sure that you can, you know, cater to that sort of athlete. And I'm very curious to see how that will pan out. You know, the offensive line coach, Tony Sperano Jr., I think people will recognize that name with his dad coaching the NFL, but he is a guy that this is his first time ever coaching the O-line at a full-time basis here in the NFL. And we're a month into the offseason, and the Colts have decided not to make any personnel changes on that O-line. So is that what it takes, just a new coach in that room? And you're going to keep the personnel the same because no matter what you do at quarterback, obviously the O-line needs to make a serious jump from uh, how extremely disappointed it was last year. I think the real challenge in coaching in professional sports – you're not, you're not going to come up with anything X's and O's that players haven't heard a million times. They've been playing most of these guys since middle school, right? But I remember once talking to one of the players that played for, I, I think it was Reggie Wayne. I, I can't recall. Might have been Cato June. But talking about and asking about Tony Dungy. And they were like, you know, Tony Dungy just had this, this like grace about him where you just didn't want to disappoint him. It was like a parent, like you were within yourself. You didn't want to disappoint yourself by knowing that you were the person that disappointed coach Dungy. And so there's that side of it. And then like you look at Chuck Pagano, who I think all the players liked and respected and knew of the the journey that he had been on and the challenges that he overcame. But towards the end, Pagano got a little bit desperate and was trying to use cliches and, and props and things like that. And guys, I think it just kind of tuned it out at that point. Like, yeah, okay. So Steichen's got to be able to push the buttons that gives guys not only a little bit of motivation, but that they simply trust him and want to win for him and don't want to disappoint him. I think that's the real key is you want to have a connection where you lead people because they've decided that you are the kind of person that they want to follow. I know he made an appearance on Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey's podcast a few weeks ago, and you know Jason Kelsey and him seem to have a pretty good good rapport. And for those unfamiliar with the Eagles situation, think of Jason Kelsey like almost like Jeff Saturday when he was a totally, player. Here. Yeah, I mean, very well respected. Um, and so that is something that I think that you would like to see if you are a Colts fan. All right, uh, Kevin Pritchard, he joins us next here on Kevin Corey. Hey, good morning to you. Eight o'clock. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On a Wednesday in a spectacular sunrise and what looks to be a beautiful day here in Indianapolis. Jake Corey along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. And joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, he is in his, I believe, sixth season with the title of President of Basketball Operations for the Indiana Pacers. Kevin Pritchard joins us on the program this morning. Kevin, first off, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. Glad to be on. Hey, I want to begin with this. Yesterday, I know that you, you know, kind of did your season-ending wrap with the media and discussing things. For those that did not hear it, 
Um, I've got a pretty good idea, I think, what what fans and what the media as well felt about the way this season went. Right. But give us your perspective. In your in the in the opinion of Kevin Pritchard, this season was what for Indiana? Well, I think there was a lot of growth this year. You know, we, we played a lot of players from Neesmith to Nemhard to Matherin, um, who had little or no experience. And normally when you play guys with uh, little experience in, in this in this league, it's it's challenging to win any games. Um, but um, I think a couple things happened. We've, we've got a lot of experience. Um, but I think the most important thing was um, Tyrese blossomed into this amazing player. Like we, we run our own, you know, algorithms or analytics, whatever you want to call them. We, we look at the offensive side of the ball. We look at defensive side of the ball. We, we can talk about that a little bit in a minute. But, you know, we were a really, really good offensive team with a super young team, which usually doesn't happen. And, you know, I don't want to say it fell on one person, but Tyrese's metrics or analytics were off the charts. He's a top 10 offensive player right now. And, you know, I said in the in the, in the press conference yesterday, you know, it, he's a little like Mahomes. Um, and he's just a super exciting player. But he makes everybody around him better. He gets so many easy shots with his pace with his ability to get by people, with his jump passing, which is totally unique in the league. Um, so I think we really set our foundation offensively. Now, that's the good. The bad is we weren't a very good defensive team. Um, I think we need some more size at the, the wings. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> this is my 30-something year in the in the NBA as a player, coach, and a and an executive, and I would tell you this, that I had more fun with this team than I've ever had in my life. Just in the locker room, on the, on the airplanes, um, they just were a great group. They connected. Um, they liked each other. They got on each other sometimes, like brothers, but then it was always in good faith. And so I think we took a step. We went from 25 wins to 35 wins. I like that progression. Now we've got to take it to where we go from 35 to 45 plus. And going from 25 to 35, they say in the NBA, you know, it, there's challenges, but you, it can be done. Going from 35 to 45 is a lot harder, and going from 45 into the 50s is even harder than that. So we have some challenges, but I like where we are. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm super optimistic on our future. Um, we have three first round picks, albeit two are late in the first round. And then we have a couple really powerful second round picks, potentially depends on how the lottery goes. But, um, I think we have a lot of tools to go out and, and get some really good players. I think our real challenge for, from, from a management perspective is you take a kind of a, a slower, a steady, you know, keep building the foundation or do you really try to go and use some of these assets and, and go get, you know, a top level player. Trades are hard in the league. I think we've done a decent job the last few years in trades, but um, 
I, I like I like what we have, and, and we have just a lot of um, opportunity to uh, to improve the team, and so we're super excited right now because the, the season's over. But yet now, what happens is this is when management and the coaches get together, and we try to decide what direction, what players we go after in free agency, what players we go after in the draft. How do we maneuver all these draft picks to best position us not only now but potentially for the future? And there's there's just there's a lot of different uh, opportunities that we can we can look at. We're we're starting the models right now. We can't even get to our fifth model. We've got probably fifty models to go with all these uh, assets to go get players. He's Kevin Pritchard. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Kevin, I'll fully admit, I was certainly one that had my hand raised a few years ago. Um, pretty, you know, unhappy or uncertain maybe about where the direction was going. And, and credit to you totally guys. <laughs> credit to you guys and your staff for, I think, first admitting it and then obviously pivoting to a point where there's real optimism that I haven't seen in quite some time here with your fan base. Kind of building off what you said there, it almost seems like the thought process this offseason is less quantity-based and more like high-end quality-based, where you, you have the five draft picks, but I think you even said it yesterday, there's probably a good chance you don't use all five of those, where you, you've kind of shifted to where this this rebuild has maybe been sped up a bit, and now it's, all right, how do we get that that other major piece, and potentially this time next year, we're talking about a team that's in a legit playoff series. Couldn't agree more. We've, we've talked about exactly what you just said. This isn't quantity. This is now about quality. One of the things that, that, that we keep kicking around every single day is we have such a unique group that they really, really like each other that I have to be careful in bringing in somebody that doesn't fit that. You know, like I, I am a big believer that there's a fit. And so, look, we have some guys that had special years. Tyrese, I think Miles had a big year. And those guys are getting up in age where, you know, I kind of feel like they're, they're partners in who we bring in. You know, like, I, I think it's a misnomer that management makes the picks and coaches coach the you know players and, you know, the players play with the players that we brought in. You know, I'm a collaborative guy. We'll, we'll sit in the room. I'll, I'll talk to Tyrese a lot. Um, you know, this is his and Miles's culture. They're they're kind of driving the boat. Uh, Buddy helps with that, but it, it it really is. I don't see us bringing in five new guys. That's that's hard to do. We did that last year. Um, what it really is about, like you said, it's about finding the right person that is of the right position, but also fits our culture because we have a different culture than a lot of the NBA. Some of the NBA has a tough culture. Some of it has a, you know, a, a me culture. Our team moved the ball more than any team I've seen in a long time, and I don't want to disrupt that. So uh, I agree it's about uh, really quality. And, you know, when we look at the free agents, uh, when we look at the trade market, We'll have to make sure that they fit with what this team is about. Kevin, do you feel like, if I'm looking at building an NBA team, I'm going to use a bad analogy perhaps, but we'll do it like if you're building a, a Lego build, okay? 
you have the key centerpiece of the Lego, like the, the, the block of Legos, and then once you get that designed, then you're just picking up little Lego pieces and attaching them here and there to accentuate the center of the block. Do you already have the center of the block, and are you in position now? Are you comfortable now with your core that you just need additional auxiliary Lego pieces, or do you still need another piece of that core to keep it bound? That's a really good question. Um, my my initial reaction: Look, the Spurs in the you know early two thousand had a theory, and I worked for the Spurs for a couple of years that you needed three real superstars, not all stars, superstars that fit each other. So they had Tim, which was the epitome. They had Ginobili and Tony who on their own probably couldn't win a championship, but fit with what Tim did. So I would say that Tyrese is that guy, yes. Uh, Especially the hardest positions in the NBA to get right now and get at a high level, (coughs) excuse me, is the point guard and then a four-man. Point guard being the hardest. If you can get that quarterback – and some teams do it differently. Like, you know, uh, you could say LeBron's the qu- uh, quarterback in L.A. or Giannis at times is their quarterback and major uh, ball holder. And, you know, their usage rate is such so high. So I believe that Tyrese is that guy. Um, and I think uh, I-, I know he is. But I, I do believe that we need to get that hybrid. We, we look at players in, 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 in not as one, two, three, or four, or five anymore. We look at, at a, a point guard. We look at them as combo guards. We look at them as wings. We look at them as hybrids. We look at them as power forwards. And we look at pure centers. And that's the way we play. That's the way Rick Carlisle plays. That's the way he substitutes. That's the way when we draw up a play, you're fitting into one of those categories. So I would say that getting a hybrid, a wing defender, a four, we'll be looking at those. But I also believe that this, you don't have to plug it in perfectly and that what Rick does really, really well, I mean, we'll throw out three point guards and Miles and someone else, uh, like uh, Aaron Neesmith, who had a hell of a year, and, um, and we'll play and we'll be successful. So part of me wants to get some positions, uh, like I said, but part of me wants to just get really good talent, really good guys that fit with what we're doing too. So it, 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 it's a challenge. Because those positions are the hardest thing to get right now. Do you find, Kevin Pritchard's our guest. He's the president of basketball operations for the Indiana Pacers. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Kevin, do you find when you look at, and, and I know it's probably a tired angle. I, I get it, but I think that it, it still is a reality within this market. You know, that you've had the two centerpiece guys that, that, people here maybe even including the brass thought we're going to be built around guys in in paul george and victor oladipo that we know what happened in those cases so does that create in you a dichotomy an emotional dichotomy of 
making sure that you are indeed working with Tyrese Halliburton to, to make sure that, that everything is copacetic from his standpoint, but at the same time also making sure that you're not over-investing in him should that situation in a few years come up again. Does that thought process battle within you at all? Well, I don't think it's just it, – it's a tough question, right? Um, I think we learn, quite frankly. I think I've learned. Uh, I think as leaders, um, along with Coach Carlisle, along with Chad Buchanan, I think we learn a lot. Um, I, I think one of the things that we bring is, I think we're over ourselves. I guess uh, is how I would put it. So when you when we when we go to build this team, yes, will we ask our players, our top players? You know, who really fits, who doesn't. Players players know a lot more than sometimes, you know, executives or, you know, even though we've got three NBA scouts, players know a lot too. So it, it would be, you know, remiss for me not to talk to Tyrese. My job is to develop a good relationship with Tyrese. I work at it. Uh, I talk to him. And that can grow deeper in the future, I believe. Um, I wished... I could have done a better job with Paul George. That was my first year. Uh, and Victor, it's interesting. Um, Victor and I were really close. He gets hurt and, you know, some things happened there. And then we weren't very close. And it's it's now to this day where we're, we're talking some now. And um, I really like Victor. I wish I would have worked. But back to your point with Tyrese, yes. But but I would say this, each individual player is different. You know, Paul or other players had different motives. And, you know, Paul was from the West Coast. Um, Tyrese is different. He's a very grounded kid. Um, I think he recognizes that he had a great opportunity and he took full advantage and blossomed here. He spends a lot of time in the off season in Indiana. Last summer, he was here all the time. And he was in the community all the time. I would think that he'll probably be in this community a lot this, this summer. So what does that do? Like One of the things we talk about all the time is how do we get our players to dig deep roots here and that they – feel great every single night that they go home and that they understand what being part of the Pacer and part of the Indianapolis and Indiana community means. And so we work hard at that. We work it harder now than we did when we had Paul and Victor. So that's something that we feel like super important. Kevin, I want to go back, and again, Kevin Pritchard is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I want to go back to what you're saying about kind of the uh, need a 3-4, need a hybrid. W- would you say that the, the, the skill sets at those positions need to be more defensive-minded than offensive-minded? Well, the easy answer is we were 26 in defense this year. We were a really good offensive team. I think there's growth within our own team and organic growth with everybody, starting with Tyrese to Drew Nimhard to uh, Buddy to 
Neesmith, who, you know, had a really good year. Um, I think I think they all have to grow. Uh, Miles is already a pretty good defensive player, but he can improve too. But we also have to go get some guys that are more defensive-minded too. And uh, what what has happened over the last few years in the NBA, it, it feels like it's becoming – if you ask me what the, the league was like 10 years ago and when we were making it to Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago – we had a team that could really defend and win ugly. And we, we just kind of could grind the game out. And Paul and Danny Granger and Roy Hippert and David West and George Hill, they were incredible defenders. Um, the league has trans, uh, sort of transformed right in front of our eyes, and it's becoming a scoring league. But you still got to be an average or above-average defensive team. When we look at historic you know, numbers to be in the top four in the East. And we want to be in the top four, whether it's next year or the following year. Our goal is to get into that. We're playing in the semis and the, and the finals of the Eastern Conference finals. And so what we're trying to do is build a team that can get there. Um, and we're going to have to have some guys that can go guard Giannis, who can go, go guard uh, Tatum and Jimmy Butler and these big wings that uh, – are, are super effective at drawing fouls and uh, getting easy buckets for, the, for themselves and for their, their teammates. We've got to make it hard because once we get into a flow game and Tyrese is controlling that, we get good shots. I mean, our shot creation ability this year was incredible. It's in the top three or four in the league. What we couldn't do is stop teams from getting to the line because we fouled too much and stopped teams from getting uh, easy open shots. Last one for me, Kevin, and really appreciate the time this morning. Where's that balance for you? And like, all right, we got to get the highest floor possible, but also realize, you know, let, let, let's try and shoot for the moon. Like, it seemed like you took the approach last year publicly. Like, if we're going to rebuild, let's rebuild. Like, let's try and get to. You know what you were saying just a few minutes ago about back to Eastern Conference title runs. So, where do you stand on the whole? Okay, let's rebuild to be you know high floor, consistent playoff team, but also in this market we have proven we can make deep playoff runs. How do we get back there? Well, I, I believe that we could do that again. First of all, but it really goes to what I was talking about earlier and how we model things out. So, what we'll do is. We'll, we'll, we'll look at every potential model. What I mean is, you know, a model, one model looks like how do you take, you know, the 26th pick, the 29th pick, uh, potentially the 32nd pick. How do we combine those things and what could that get and list those players and rank those players and does that make us a better team? Comparing that with, 50 other models of maybe you take, uh, you know, a player or you take, you know, the sixth or seventh, eighth pick plus those three picks and uh, our cap space and take on a bad contract and go get a player. So you can see there's all these opportunities for us to go get. What we saw at the trade deadline is, and quite frankly, you know, 
we made some of the biggest offers I've ever made. And sometimes I look back and I go, holy cow, those were incredible offers. They didn't go through. Um, and that happens because in trades, it takes two, two teams to agree. But I, I see us getting really aggressive. Um, I do not want to limit our upside. Um, if, if you know what I mean, like uh, sometimes with a with a player, you can raise your your uh, floor, but sometimes you can limit your upside. And I really don't want to limit my limit our upside because. I really believe Tyrese has got a big step. I, I, I know Ben Matherin's got a big step. I know Drew Nemhard's got a big step. Um, if we draft some players, I hope that they'll have some ability to improve over time. When you look – by the way, Kevin – um, It doesn't happen quick. Sometimes, it, sometimes we want it to happen super quickly. Um, and and the biggest mistake I think that can be made here is is um, we try to force it too quickly, and that limits us. And so I don't want to do that either. Now the big swings you took in trades were for who? Can't tell you that. I had to take a big swing, right? You did. It was a good swing too. <laughs> One hey, of have initials and used to play in Bloomington. Oh, you know, there's, there's, there's some guys that we like and, you know, that it seems to be the profile. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, Kevin, um, I'll tell you two guys I, I, I love when I watch your team. I already know. I love Aaron Neesmith. I know you do. I think I probably like, you like O'Shea Brissett too, don't you? I do like O'Shea Brissett because I like yeah. guys that I like guys that understand what their role is and that do it well and don't try and don't draw back by trying to overstep that. And that's an outside observation. I'm not in the building, right? But that's an outside observation. But I also really like Buddy Heald because. I think that typically, like receivers in ba- in football, in basketball, your scoring wings or your outside shooters are often guys that can play kind of selfishly. I don't think he does. I he think doesn't. that he he's he very mature. But my question is: is it is there a risk in overpaying for off court contribution and the auxiliary leadership? And you know, T.J. McConnell's like a like a coach on the floor guy that you can just tell is is a glue guy. Can you overpay for that and get too loyal to it? You know, it's probably one of my biggest detriments. Like I really fall in love with players, you know what they do on the court, what they do off the court. Now, regarding TJ, TJ made a major major step this year. Shooting was his Achilles. And he was a 50, 40, almost 90 guy this year with the way he plays on defense and the way he pushes the ball. But let's let's look at the first thing. You know, Aaron Neesmith, we did exit meetings. And exit meetings are supposed to last just not too long. We don't don't go super deep. We, we, We talk about strengths. We talk about weaknesses. And one of the questions was with Aaron, and I love this kid. I mean, a yes, sir, no, sir, do anything, run through a wall. 
for us to win. It was asked, and I think it was Coach Carlisle, he goes, you know, just out of curiosity, what position do you think you are? And what position will you play next year? And he, he literally, you know, kind of took a few moments. He's a smart, really intelligent kid, went to Vanderbilt. And he kind of thought, and he, he looked at us, and he goes, I don't really care what position I play. I just want to help us win. And, you know, Rick goes, no, no, no. You want to play the four? Do you like the three the best? Or do you think you're a two? Or a wing or a you know combo? And he goes, I just don't care. I just want to help us win. And it was like one of those things where you need to quit asking the question because I'm telling you what I want to do. I just want to help us win. And it was like I got, I got a little love. You know, I got excited because you can't have you can't have too many of those guys, right? You just those guys help you win, they'll do anything. And I think you'll get better, quite frankly. So, um can you overpay for guys in the locker room or great locker room guys? I suppose you could. I guess if you went and gave a guy that's an average player a maximum contract, sure. But I think it's a balance of how good they are, how much they can produce on. But I always believe this, and I'm striving, and we're striving striving for this in Indiana, that is we really want guys that one plus one equals five, meaning they're, they're, when you put them on the court, they're better than individuals. Because sometimes I see in the NBA, and I see it a lot, where you see five guys out there, and it equals two. Uh, you know, and and I don't want that. I, I want I want our guys to go out there and make each other better. I evaluate <clears throat> games on three things. Did we play hard? Did we play unselfish? And did we play smart? And if we lose doing those two those three things, I'll live with it every day. And quite frankly, there were some games we did that and we lost. And that's just the nature of the NBA. Sometimes teams are better. I've resigned myself to the fact, by the way, that the numbers game are going to make it difficult on O'Shea Brissett to be back, but I'll leave that up to you. The, the, I'll let you crunch those numbers. But I do okay. love guys like that. No question about Me it. Me too. Me um, too. Kevin, we appreciate the time this morning. Great perspective. And uh, I know it's going to be a busy off season, but certainly one that's going to be exciting. We'd love to have you back anytime you want to opine further about it, and we'll let you get back to work on that. But I appreciate the time this morning. Glad to be on, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin Pritchard, the president of basketball operations of the Indiana Pacers. You think you could draw up the one plus one equals five equation on the board during the break? You got to run me through that one. Just so your, you know, I've actually math. done that during my math tutoring background. <laughs> and I um, thought it was right. I, I might regret this at one point down the road, Jake. I have no worry about Tyrese Halliburton wanting to be here long term. I get their scar tissue. I have no worry. The Pacers got to do their part. Um, I think they've done a really nice job so far. I think they'll continue to do that. And, you know, when he mentioned, you know, he didn't want to go fully there, but I, I do believe OG Ananobi was potentially one of the two offers. That profile, he did say that, that profile. Again, a wing, a four, defensive-minded. I think that is a huge missing ingredient. One of the things that I was going to ask, and I didn't have to because it kind of went there, was are you in a position now where it doesn't matter whether the guy's offensive or defensive that you can simply go like in the draft best player available? It does sound like there, he basically said, there is a design of what they still need 
and it is the wing defense. I mean, yeah. you and I have talked about it, right? The wing defense. You got defense. your quarterback. You got your center. Yeah. I think you got even a Mather and kind of a lead score. You always could use scoring, but I think defense means a lot right now with how poor you were. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us just a couple of minutes, but time for a quick morning check down. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Kevin, I'll let you handle the basketball side of it, but in baseball yesterday, we'll let you know that the Braves over the Reds, 7-6. It was the Cardinals over the Rockies, 9-6 yesterday. Also, the Giants over the Dodgers, 5-0. Cubs, 14-9 over the Mariners. Tampa Bay Rays still unbeaten, 7-2 over the Boston Red Sox. Now just two wins away from tying a record amongst two other franchises to start 13-0, although neither of those two won the World Series. Cute fella over the Athletics 12-8 and the Indianapolis Indians on the short end against the St. Paul Saints 10-6. All right, last night in the association, the Hawks and the Lakers, they punched their tickets, I guess, into the bracket, if you will. The Hawks upset the Heat on the road. A great performance from their bench, uh, dominate on the glass. The Heat are the first seven seed ever to lose in the play-in. Uh, so the Hawks will take on the Celtics in that 2-7 matchup. The Lakers, they come back from 15 down against the undermanned by their own doing Timberwolves. Uh, they win in overtime. Mike Conley did hit three free throws at the end of regulation to force overtime, but the Lakers pulled away. 13-10 for LeBron, 24-15 for Anthony Davis. Dennis Schroeder was very good off the bench for the Lakers. So it'll be the Lakers and the Grizzlies in the 2-7 matchup. For the Timberwolves and the Heat, they will have a chance to keep their seasons alive later this week. That sets up tonight's win to stay alive games. Raptors and Bulls, Pelicans and Thunder. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Stephen Holder joins us next right here on Kevin and Corey. Thank you to Kevin Pritchard. For joining us. If you missed that, that will be on the podcast as well as our next guest, Stephen Holder. Gene Katie, by the way, at 9 o'clock. But we'll focus on the Colts right here. From ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder. Stephen, two weeks and a day out. You think there's a consensus inside that building on what they're going to do? Uh, I, I don't think there is a consensus because I don't think it's that easy to come to one when you don't know how things are going to play out in front of you. So that's where I think they have an issue. Now, they, they obviously have a draft board, and, and there's an order there. And at least as it relates to the quarterback, they, they will have them stacked. Now, can that change? Yeah, maybe. And they just literally got done doing, you know, their – actually, I don't think they're even done yet. They may still have a, a couple of the, the top seven visits – or top 30 visits, excuse me, left – uh, with some of these quarterbacks. I, I forget the schedule, but the point is um, there's still some room for that to have some movement, you know? So um, I would say right now they're probably close, but I, I think the uncertainty in how things are going to go in terms of order, I think that's probably causing a little bit of fluctuation for them. Fully acknowledge this is quite the hypothetical, but if you don't mind, let's say Shane Steichen is more Will Levis focused. Let's say Chris yeah. Ballard is more Anthony Richardson focused. Um, would Jim Ursay then be the tiebreaker? 
That is going to be fascinating, actually. <laughs> I don't think we know. Um, Jim has given the impression that he's fine just staying out of it. I, I don't think he wants to play that role, and I don't think he intends to play that role. Now, I know coming off of last season, that probably sounds a little bit puzzling to people because he was pretty damn involved last season. But I think that's also why he is taking a very much a, a hands-off approach right now. Uh, he doesn't like that reputation, quite frankly. And I think he's going to let these guys work it out. Now, the question for me is how do – Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen work it out. You know, if there is, you know, a a disconnect there or just a disagreement, you know, which is fine. It's not as if not as if there's a, you know, that, that says something terrible about them. I mean, they're allowed to disagree. The question is, how do they come to terms with that? I have no idea. And, and this is a very new relationship. And it'll be very interesting to see how that works out. I mean, I would tell you that if you're Chris Ballard, I think you have to give your coach some benefit of the doubt, particularly him being an offensive coach and and him wanting to kind of get off on the right foot. But it's a big, big decision. So I get it if the if it takes a lot of deliberation. Stephen, we have Kevin and I spent, and I, I did some research yesterday. We've spent ninety eight percent of our shows since March first talking about four quarterbacks. And then it, got, it, it dawned on me. I'm more shocked about you doing research. <laughs> well, it's true too. No, but it, but it dawned on me. Uh, honestly, is there any chance, Stephen Holder, that after the NFL draft, Kevin and I are going to walk in here and look at each other and go, "We spent all that time talking about those four guys, and then they went ahead and didn't take a quarterback with their first pick." Any chance that happens? Uh, I I really don't think so. Um. I just think there's too much pressure on them. I really, really think, and I don't normally think that matters, but I think it matters here, like a lot. I, I just, I think not just public pressure, but even, even from a from an internal standpoint. I mean, Jim is not, you know, making some kind of. Uh, he's not walking around making ridiculous demands or anything right now that I'm aware of. But, but there's still pressure there. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, right? I mean, we met with Jim Mercer at the owners' meetings uh, for about 45 minutes. Well, I mean, like your show, what do you think the majority of that 45 minutes was spent talking about? <laughs> okay? So it, it's not just you. It's them, too, right? I mean, they're talking about quarterbacks on and on and on as well. So I I just think that where they are and, and what – the stakes are for them right now. I don't think they can, they can't turn the page organizationally. Okay. Until they solve this problem. Now that quarterback pick might not ultimately solve the problem, but you gotta, you gotta take a, you gotta take a shot. Right. And so until they do that, they can't organizationally move on to whatever the next question is in my mind. From ESPN.com, he's Stephen Holder. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, I don't know if you saw this earlier today, but Tom Pelissero uh, from NFL Network reported that the Colts have converted $5 million of DeForest Buckner's salary into a signing bonus for this season, clearing $2.5 million in cap space. Um, 
your best guess as to why they would do that? Are you going Lamar Jackson? Are you going another free agent? Are you going, it's probably an extension-related move for Jonathan Taylor and or Michael Pittman? Uh, I think it very well could be the latter is my guess. Uh, if they were, if it was going to be a bigger move, uh, I think there are likely other avenues they could go where they could, you know, they could clear more space. Uh, this this only gives them a little bit. Right. Um, I, I would I would think I would think it's probably just trying to give yourself some some room to operate. I mean, they still got you know they they still got to sign this draft class. Uh, that's going to cost you you know several million right there in cap space. They they are talking about extensions, right? So that's that's a reality, and 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 they have not in the last couple of years. They haven't been able to structure contracts in the way they prefer because their cap has gotten a little tighter. I mean, you go back to the, the Quentin Nelson contract, and they they really had to to spread that out with a lot of signing bonus, which is not something they like to do. And so they like to to kind of go year to year with the cap, not to get into the weeds, but but when you don't have a lot of cap space, you end up having to spread out the cap impact for your big contracts. If you have the cap space, what you can do is you can you can put a, a bulk of it in the first year and then give yourself flexibility in the years to come. So I think it's really just a matter of them trying to operate more along the lines of, of where they want to be. Uh, they, they haven't had to do this stuff in the past. And so this is a little new for Colts fans, them having to make these, these adjustments to contracts. But that's what happens when your cap gets a little tight and they do have a lot of re-signed players who they drafted who have now you know, earned big contracts. Stephen, what percent of the way, 50%, 70%, what percent of the way are the Colts to having a roster that is, I guess you're never at 100%, but having a roster that is ready to potentially have a young quarterback plugged in to that is conducive to that quarterback being able to organically be comfortable in learning mm-hmm. the NFL? Hmm. That's a good question, and it's interesting because I would have had a very different answer before last season. <laughs> you know, I thought even even coming out of 2021, as badly as it ended, you know, it was it was easy to say to yourself, okay, look, maybe reset the quarterback spot, and and maybe this isn't that bad. But then last year happened, and and now it's just it's muddied things. You know, it you want to say, oh, well, this team's terrible. <laughs> but I also know that's probably not entirely true, too, right? So I don't know. I I don't think they're as close as as maybe they want to believe the Colts themselves. You know, I, I don't think that. Uh, in terms, of, if you're asking a percentage, uh, I think maybe fifty percent. But but I also don't think. The other fifty percent is is as much of a as much of an issue as as maybe we think. I mean, I, I think they could add a, a few important pieces and make up a big percentage. Um, and, and frankly, if you depending on how good the quarterback is, that number changes. If that makes sense, right? I mean, if you if the quarterback's really good, then you, that team doesn't need to be at at seventy five percent, you know, for the quarterback to be able to fill the other remaining percentage. I mean, that's what I see. I think they have a viable defense still, even though it, it did kind of it did kind of fall apart late in the season. But I thought it's still viable, and and hopefully Shaquille Leonard is 
is is on its way back, and that makes a big difference, right? I mean, so they they have a, they have some pieces certainly, but the quarterback it just obscures everything when you just don't have that quarterback piece. It's just so hard to really to, to really evaluate your roster because the quarterback is a big piece of it. So it goes back to what I said before about being unable to turn the page and, and figure out the rest of your business, you know, while not having that question answered. Steven, I, if you don't want to get, you know, go down this path of maybe a little bit of sourcing, I totally understand, but I do feel like you have, you know, made it known that you think there's some pretty real interest for the Colts with Anthony Richardson. Um, if you want to share, would you say that you get the vibe based off the Richardson camp or you get the vibe based off the Colts camp? Oh, both, I think. I think there's a couple of things. Number one, uh, actions, for sure, right? I mean, just the level of interest and in, in how they've gone about learning about him, for one. And and then, yes, I think you do learn, you do learn some intricacies about – things people say, things people do, observe, et cetera, you know, by talking to, to the players camp as well. So yeah, I, I think it's a, it, it's a little bit of both. I, what I, what I have told people is I don't have the same level of Intel on Will Levis, right? So like that is something I've been very honest about. So there's, there's a lot there. I don't know. Right. And and that's, I'm perfectly comfortable saying that. But I, I also know enough to know that the way they've approached Anthony Richardson, to me, um, it seems pretty genuine and, and speaks to them being very, very interested. And, and look, I, I also think there's, there's also some of that, some of my evaluation there is also my own evaluation, which is I think with him, the, what, what sort of tilts the scale for me is upside. Because I think... I think all these players' floors are fine. I think they'll be fine. Um, and, and we can get into the, the completion percentage with Anthony Richardson, but I just think when you talk about just how little he's played, I think if he had another year of college uh, in a, in a half-decent situation, obviously it would be a much different conversation last uh, next year in the draft, right? So in the long term, three or four years from now, I don't think, I don't think it's going to matter. I think the, the growth is going to be the growth no matter what. Uh, if, if you if you don't think he's ready now, it doesn't mean he won't be uh, the same quarterback three or four years from now, right? So I don't I don't necessarily care that much about that. Um, we can't judge him with the same eye maybe as these other players because he just hasn't played enough. So anyway, um, I hope I answered your question, but I, I, it definitely is sort of a mix when I talk about you know what I've observed and learned about Richardson. I get this feeling where that information has come from. I should say, yes, Steve. Let me give you like this this gut feeling I have, and then you can tell me that my gut feeling is totally inaccurate. I get this feeling that Will Levis is probably the safer of the two in terms of knowing or understanding what you are going to get right out of the box. Anthony Richardson has more intrigue because it appears as though there's more open space for him to, to open up the Ferrari, which he hasn't been able to do yet, and that's intriguing. And so, therefore, there's more interest in Richardson league-wide than with Levis, and that part of the Colts getting tantalized by Richardson could, in fact, be the peer pressure that there is this greater intrigue about him league-wide than with Levis. Is that an unfair statement? 
I think there's some truth to that for sure. I, I mean, what you the way you describe Richardson is true. I mean, I, I think with Levis, look, I mean, it's kind of what I just said. I mean, the floor for all these players is pretty, I think, pretty decent, a pretty decent floor in terms of what they, at least we think, right? We could be wrong about all of this, but but from what it appears and from what from what NFL people seem to uh, seem to observe, the floor is not that is not is not low. It's it's high enough, right? The question is, I think you're right. You're in this AFC conference with with very, very high-end quarterbacks. Uh, you look back at, say, Patrick Mahomes, and I'm not comparing anybody to Patrick Mahomes. I'm just saying, Patrick Mahomes, there were a lot of questions about how it would translate, how he played in college, all of that, right? I'm not, not talking about completion percentage or any of the numbers, none of that. The style and that kind of thing, right? How would it translate? And what, what we know now is that he had these, these really um, – unique abilities that ultimately have made him the quarterback who he is. So I think that's something you got to think about. Josh Allen, I think also another guy, really unique abilities, right? Just his, his, his athleticism and his arm strength, uh, his, the, the power he sort of brings to the position. I mean, those are unique things that set him apart. And, and that I would also say, as it relates to Chris Ballard, what does he look for? He looks for uniqueness. He looks for unique traits like that. Uh, you can look at a lot of the players he's drafted. Uh, even early in the draft, they have really unique aspects about them. And so that's, that's one of the things that I also kind of bring into the conversation when I think about how they may approach this. Steven, last one for me, and thanks for uh, making a little adjustment with us here on this Wednesday morning time-wise. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing based off your employer, it will probably be somebody within your building that would get this. But has there been like any whispers or chatter about Jeff Saturday having a tell-all on ESPN or <laughs> I, you know even like a story with you? I, 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 it's been you know eerily quiet since we got him on the boat back when Shane Steichen got hired you know, a couple months ago. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything about Jeff Saturday. It's a good question, though. I, I can't say that I haven't wondered what he's up to and, and what's next. Um, maybe I'll give him a call. That might be interesting. My last call with him was very interesting, so I, I'll leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> I, I kind of am curious. So you make a good point. But no, I have not heard anything about that. It would be – it would certainly be – uh, compelling, and I would watch it. I'd say that. Has there been an official announcement that he's going back to ESPN? No. Have we seen no, that? Not, not I, to I, my I, knowledge. I don't know anything about yeah. it. That doesn't mean they haven't talked, but right. I, I don't know anything about that. No. It, it, I am kind of curious what his next move is going to be. I know he has some some outside business interests that were pre-existing, and, and I know he's he's obviously been indulging in some of that. But uh, and I don't know the details. I just know he has some other business interests that you know people got to make money, right? That's fine. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what else is going on with him from a media perspective, though. Do you think his is his employment? I'm talking future, obviously, with yeah. the Indianapolis Colts completely out the door. And by that, I don't mean coaching. I mean working in some sort of suit and tie venture, right? Well, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I know that he, we do know that he was helping them in a consultant 
capacity uh, before taking on the job as, as the head coach, the, the interim head coach. Uh, my understanding is that he and Frank Reich in particular, I, I wrote this earlier, they had a sort of a standing weekly meeting um, that where they would talk about different concepts. And I know that him and uh, former offensive line coach Chris Strasser talked pretty regularly so I, you know, I don't. But that's a very different thing than talking about a full time job. Um, I don't know. I, I think right now, you know, he's got uh, they they have a they have a coaching staff in place. There's nowhere to even approach that right now. I mean, don't you think though it would be hard for him to ever come back in like say an offensive line coach capacity? Well, I, that I yeah. I, I mean, could yeah. I see him you, working you in, for an office? I don't think he yeah. wants to. Or even like community relations yeah. liaison, you know, like a David Thornton type role, yeah. player relations, that kind of thing. I, 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 this is my, this is me speculating. Okay, I'll be clear about that. But I think he's going to keep his distance for a while. Yeah. I really do. I, I just that is my impression that Jeff Saturday is going to keep his distance for a while. I'm not saying forever. But but for the foreseeable future, doesn't mean he won't show up. You know, if somebody goes in the ring of honor, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm just talking about anything in an official capacity. I can't see it for at least for quite some time. And for all parties, I just, I just don't think it ended well. You know, right? And for all parties involved, I think that's the best thing at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, Stephen, great stuff. Thanks, man. We'll see you later today. All right, guys. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Gene Katie, the Hall of Famer, joins us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Iconic voices you think of and legendary coaches who continues to rack in the well-deserved honors and heading into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He is Gene Cady, and the coach joins us right now. Coach Cady, good Wednesday morning to you. How's life? Well, it's great. Good morning to you and everybody else. Is, Thank Myr- you. is Myrtle Beach still still home for you right now? Yes, it is. That's where we live. My wife and I, Kathleen. Well, right now, this weather up here looks beautiful. I I assume um, y- you enjoy the weather down there. Oh, it's always great. You play a lot of golf, and uh, it's always pretty even keel. Never too many storms. Well, the obviously big news for you, Coach, and congratulations because um, a basketball Hall of Fame is a basketball Hall of Fame with Gene Cady in it, and. You had a legendary career, a tremendous coaching career, and I'm I'm just curious. First and foremost, can you kind of take us back to when you got the call that you were going to be enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Massachusetts? Just what your overall emotions and reaction were? Well, it was very uh, much a surprise, and uh, of course, I was very much appreciative of their giving me that honor. And it doesn't happen just to anyone, so. I know how hard it is, so I really appreciate the fact that they put me in this year. Coach, of everything on your resume, what are you most proud of? That my kids graduated, the players uh, became successful people in their own right, and that sort of thing, because 
That's why you go to school to get an education so you can develop your own career. You know, when you look back on you had so many great teams, coach. Obviously the trip you know, the three straight with Todd Mitchell and Everett Stevens and Troy Lewis. That was a great unit. You know, you, you had great teams with Brian Cardinal. Uh, over the course of these, you know, Glenn Robinson goes without saying. Is there one particular group or one particular season that you find yourself dwelling on the most fondly of all the years that you had at Purdue? Well, I think the first one, we won the first uh, title. That was uh, huge for me because I had never had a opportunity to win something like that huge and in such a great league and uh, competition was always great and it's just a tremendous opportunity and it was something that all everybody pulled together and and we won and it was uh, very much appreciated now pardon my naivete here i'm going off memory would that have been jim rowinski's group yes man that uh-huh. guy yeah um yeah. brad brad miller and uh it just uh on and on and on. We had great players. You never win anything by yourself. Had very good assistants, Bruce Weber. Uh, he became a great coach in his own at Kansas State. So, you know, it's you always have to have a lot of help. And He's, the fans are the best. We had the best fans in the nation. It's the Basketball Hall of Famer. He's Gene Cady, of course, long-time, long-time coach at Purdue, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, if you don't mind, can you take us back to 1980 and going from Western Kentucky to West Lafayette? And, you know, you you hear about these hiring processes right now, and so much has played out in the media. What was that like? What was the hiring process like for you to go to Purdue? Well, uh, I was very happy at Western Kentucky, and as you know, they have a great tradition, too. So, it was an opportunity to go to a, a bigger league and a little more money and that sort of thing and great fans. So it was just an opportunity to move up in your career where you had everything in your uh, in your uh, way way to help recruiting, especially. What did you know about West Lafayette or Purdue? Nothing other than Rick Mount came from there. <laughs> <laughs> the old Sports Illustrated cover was about it. That was about it. So, uh, but I was a big fan of basketball, so I knew a little bit about them. Yeah, they was, they were. Uh, I was surprised that I got the call, and I was very happy and had the opportunity and moved on. You know, it's so funny, Coach Gene Cady's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. I grew up in Indianapolis, and so like so many kids that grew up in the '80s, you know, the '70s, '80s, and '90s in Indiana, I loved college basketball, and I was an Indiana fan. And for that reason, boy, the rivalry was so, you know, so strong and both teams were so good and both programs were so good. Um, quite frankly, I couldn't stand Purdue and I didn't like Gene Cady at all. And then <laughs> I I understand. Yeah, you know, one of the coach, one of the real I, I guess epiphanies for me into young adulthood was when I first got into media and and covered Purdue. And one day I just realized, I thought, you know what? I, I had this all wrong all along because, darn it, I love this guy. He's just fun to be around and cover, and and his players love him. And it was a real eye-opener to me that what you see sometimes from people is not at all you know, the reality. And that's part of that rivalry. And I just wanted you to touch on, for you, what did rivalries mean? How much did that fuel you? Not just Indiana, but maybe Illinois or whatever the teams it might be, but what, what were the rivalries, what did they mean to you as a coach? Well, I think that the thing about it is everybody thinks you hate the other coach. and Usually they're your, one of your best friends at the staff meetings or the, 
when you go to the Big Ten league meeting. So it was a mostly about the fans not liking the, the other opponent if you had a, uh, that type of rivalry. So uh, it wasn't really about the coaches because usually they got along and we just competed. It competed in a way that you you wanted to be in the Final Four, and that was your goal. Have you talked to Coach Knight at all lately? I know he you know was just lately, in the hospital. But, uh, now and then I do. We I talk about things that uh, he likes to talk about, and uh, sometimes it's political, sometimes it's about basketball, and sometimes it's just about stuff that uh, nobody would care about. And and each time you have to remind him you have a winning record against him, right? No, I don't. No, <laughs> we'll do that for you. How's that? I'm just happy to be at Purdue 25 years and have a great job with great fans and uh, uh, and a great academic uh, s- staff and the teachers all supported us and it was a great opportunity for me. I was so lucky. Coach, when you look at the the class that you are going to go into the Hall of Fame with, Gene Best, Gary Blair, Pau Gasol, Becky Hammond, David Hickson, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, Dwayne Wade, uh, I believe Jim Valvano is, is in as a contributor as well. Yes. Is there any one when you look and you heard those names, was there any one of them that made it particularly special for you to go in with them? Well, all of them I highly respected and was so happy to be with them because they had equal careers and and uh, not one in particular, but uh, uh, I was just happy to be part of this, the group. Gene Cady's with us, the Hall of Famer. Coach, I had no idea that you were drafted to play in the NFL. What was the Gene Cady football career like? Well, it was pretty good. I was pretty uh, pretty good in high school, and then I went to junior college and uh, at uh, Garden City and um, made a little All-American against Chicago. We played the Little Rose Bowl in Phoenix and uh, uh, had, a, had a, what I thought was a good career for me, at least, and I was happy just to be a football player. Was it injuries that stopped you, or what? What, what made yeah, the switch? My knee, knee, knee stopped me, and and probably ability. <laughs> so it was a. I had a great uh, time with my teammates, and I had great coaches, and and it was just a, a, a time in your life where you're so happy with what's going on, you don't really appreciate it. I don't think. Coach, did you did you find over the course of your coaching career? That when you look back on it, would you say that it that you had more flexibility or evolution as a coach in terms of just the X's and O's and watching the game evolve and adjusting to it, or the way young people evolved and having to adjust your approaches towards young people over the course of of the years? Well, I think in those days the parents were pretty strict, and I, I didn't have a whole lot of problem with that sort of thing. So. Uh, uh, maybe as the years went on, it got a little tougher for the coaches, but I just appreciated the fact that the parents were interested in their child. And and the main thing I wanted them to do is get the degree. Because without a degree, you're not going anywhere. So you have to be able to understand how important going to class every day was. And, and I know, obviously, you've touched on this a thousand times, but you know I think it's so special for Purdue fans to see you at games still a boilermaker you know still there rooting on the team and, and I'm I'm sure that a large part of that is because of the fact that you have one of your players now leading that program your overall thoughts on Matt Painter and his representation of the program in the university well I better like him I picked him they let me pick <laughs> who I wanted and that's who I picked so uh, he's a, a great guy 
uh, does a very, very good job recruiting and understands the game in a way that you're able to win with. So uh, he's a guy that uh, I really had fun coaching because he could get on him and he wouldn't take it personal. You know, that secession plan worked out so well, right? Bringing him in and then kind of handing things over. I mean, that's really rare, Coach, isn't it? To, to be able to, to have that opportunity, number one, for you to do that. But number two, for it to work out so seamlessly. Yeah, well said, because that's exactly what it, way it was. George King was my boss and a great boss, and I just had a lucky that he was over me and let me. Sometimes I didn't act right, so my mom would call me in California and say, hey, you weren't talking to act like that. Knock it off. Dad's teaching me lip reading. So, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was not good when your mother got on you. <laughs> Coach, have you uh, talked with Matt since the season ended? Oh, yeah. Yeah, once in a while. But uh, I don't like to bother because I know he's so busy with recruiting and taking care of his own uh, weightlifting and that sort of thing. So uh, I just don't want to get in the way. If he reached out to you and said, you know what, Coach, we, we have these great years, great great runs through Big Ten seasons, Big Ten tournaments, but the month of March, we, we just can't get over that hump. What would be your advice in handling that one-and-done nature of the NCAA tournament? Oh, wow. Uh, stay positive. Keep working with your kids. Work on fundamentals. Uh, make sure you get guys that listen and be able to uh, improve each year. You know, you had mentioned, Coach, the Final Four, and I've always felt like the Final Four is such a unique kind of unicorn because I think sometimes a lot of coaches, when they have their best teams, they fall short of the Final Four, and then maybe they get into the Final Four with that wasn't what you know Izzo's gone with some of the teams that you wouldn't expect. You got to have a, so many things have to fall your way over the course of the tournament. For you personally, having that be that that last frontier that you never were able to cross in the final four not always necessarily because of the fault of purdue as i mentioned but was it a challenge to not get too hyper focused on that and to be able to regroup and just stay the course of what you were doing yeah i think you just wanted to be daily uh doing things that will help your players and i went to the final four as an assistant at arkansas with eddie sutton and I didn't get to go because I was interviewing for the Purdue job. So he was, uh, he was at the Final Four, and I was getting a, a job that was much appreciated. Coach, last one from me. And, again, congratulations. It's quite the honor. It's an unbe- unbelievable class that you're going in with and extremely well-deserved. And we thank you for the time here on this Wednesday morning. What's the thing about college basketball right now that makes Gene Cady scratch his head? Well, I think that uh, some many times it's about how they were raised. I don't know. I think that my dad was the best thing that ever happened to me because he made me respect authority and work hard and and uh, do the things it takes to be successful. So because of my father, I was able to not take all the criticism or whatever you call it with the coaches wherever I went. So I had great coaches in junior college and uh, had great coaches I played, and I just appreciate the fact that they were there to help me do things right. You know, the good news is that 78 final, I think it was 78, the final four when Arkansas went, and I think it was in St. Louis. So at least you weren't like missing out on a trip to Los Angeles or New Orleans or somewhere like that, no. right? No, I, I was part of it, but the thing about it was I didn't get to enjoy it as much as I'd like to because I was interviewing for the Purdue job, so it turned out okay. That's I was going to say, in the long <laughs> run, it worked out for you, obviously, Coach. I, I'm curious about this. Um in other sports, I don't know how basketball works, Coach. In other sports, when you go into the Hall of Fame, 
you have someone that that presents you or introduces you uh is that the case with the basketball hall of fame and if so have you thought about who it will be that will be your presenter well uh that's just coming up so i got to get that all organized uh, i don't know exactly what the details are or how far you can go to get them and that sort of thing but yes we have the same kind of situation where you're you're going to be uh, put together and interviewed, and and you'll have somebody there as a sponsor. Have you thought about who it would be? Like, if you had to list the folks that you you would say are the most influential over the course of your career, who would it be? Oh wow, that's a good question. I uh, probably probably uh, uh, Bruce Weber. Uh, that he's a guy that uh, we stuck together and did the things it took to be successful at whatever job we were at or in working in and then uh, he was a guy that stood by me and was the most successful has bruce weber ever had like a bad day whenever you talk to that guy literally like the few times that i've ever had the pleasure of speaking to bruce weber including on this program i'm ready to go run a marathon as soon as i'm done talking to him (laughs) he's very positive and uh, great for players because they understand what they need to do and how to get there with him so it was a Great opportunity for me to have him as an assistant. Coach, congratulations. Um, Just an awesome, awesome honor. And again, so well-deserved. Life in Myrtle Beach sounds great for you. And we look forward to seeing you uh, get that uh, induction and enshrinement of the Basketball Hall of Fame. And thank you very much for the time this morning. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, go Boilers because uh, we're always watching and always pulling for them in all sports, not just basketball. Hey, Coach, I wanted to say one other thing. You know, I think that when a person is selected to go into the Hall of Fame, obviously they're, you know, you're being, it's represented that Gene Cady has gone into the Hall of Fame. And as I mentioned, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Purdue basketball. And then I I watched you from afar after your time at Purdue and your connection to the university. And I just don't know that there's that anybody can ask for a better representation of where they worked and 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 who they are and i feel like a little bit of purdue is going into that hall of fame with you and that i it's my hope that purdue fans can recognize and appreciate that and understand the great representation not only professionally but personally that you have been for that university and i just think that i speak for a lot of people in central indiana and the state of indiana and thanking you for the way in which you have carried yourself to be able to carry those folks into the Hall of Fame with you. And, and I just think well, it's a tremendous honor for you. Well, thank you. You never do it by yourself. My wife is always by my side helping me, uh, making sure things are taken care of in the proper fashion, how to treat people, how to approach a, a, a crowd or whatever. But uh, you never do it by yourself. You need help. You have to understand that it's about us, not me. And that's always the way I felt about when I played and when I coached and and when I was assistant. Well, your mom will be lip-reading from afar and telling you that Dad's awfully proud. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Well, they're not here anymore, but uh, I know up uh, in heaven they'll be looking down and saying that they did the right thing to get me in the right path. So thank you very much for having me on today. And hello to all the Boilermaker fans, and I appreciate you having me today today and interviewing me. Thank you, Coach. You're welcome. Thank you. Be safe. That is the great Gene Cady right there. Legend. One of the best. On the Payless Liquors hotline. You know, a guy from Kansas, Jake, that certainly had quite the impression on uh, West Lafayette and, and Purdue Nation for multiple decades. And uh, really cool. 
And, I mean, just embodies well everything about Purdue, right? Like, he's Purdue Pete, right? And, and, and to be frank, Jake, I mean, he created so much of that. You know, obviously oh, Purdue yeah. had, you know, some history before he got there, but what he was able to do there for multiple decades is a big reason why, um, you know, people view Purdue in the light that it is viewed right now. So, um, great to hear. He sounds like he's in pretty good health as well. Um, 86, is that right? Man, I mean, probably still golfing. Oh, Live yeah, in Myrtle exactly. Beach. What if you had to go like big old coastal Carolina fan, right? Be eighty seven on May twenty first. Wow, eighty seven. Boy, he sounds great. He does. I had no idea about the NFL. Did you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I know that Did he it was last long. He was a, you know, he's kind of a, a Kansas athletic legend in the state of Kansas. Um, you know, went through junior colleges there, and you know. 19th round pick of the Steelers. Can you think of a better team that fits Gene Cady than the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs> yeah, the Purdue Boilermakers. I, and that's the other thing, the 19th round. You know, it's like Johnny Unitas. For that matter, what year was he drafted? I think it was 59, I believe it was. Because what year was Unitas? I wonder if they were in the same draft class. Because Unitas was drafted by... Where was Gene mocked? Was he mocked to go earlier than the 19th round? <laughs> There were actually, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, one of the better morning radio shows in Townsend, Maryland, spent uh, literally every day talking about debating Johnny Unitas or Gene Cady. Which one was the better draft pick? 55 Um, for Unitas, 58 for Cady. And he was a ninth rounder. I mean, 19 rounds. Of course, back then, there there obviously weren't as many teams, right? Yeah, 223rd. Overall, which right now, what you got about two hundred and fifty picks? Yeah, so that'd be draft. yeah, seven rounds. What's his forty time? Did yeah, I do don't know. It's three cone. Yeah, <laughs> did he combine? have an Anthony Richardson type combine for Gene Cady? Um, so great stuff from him. And tomorrow in the nine o'clock hour, we'll have kind of the equivalent in terms of a Hall of Famer. That'd be Bob Costas. He's going to join us tomorrow at nine o'clock. So uh, certainly looking forward to that conversation. Pretty good day with Kevin Pritchard, Stephen Holder. And Gene Cady, all of those will be up on the podcast. Uh, before we get to a pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Let's hit a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with Major League Baseball. Yesterday, it was the Reds short in against the Braves, 7-6. Cardinals, 9-6 well, winners over go? the Rockies. <laughs> Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? I feel like I need to play that every single time we talk about the Reds. It's one of the wild things to think what the Bengals have done since that comment. You're right. Yeah, I'll just go next door, man. And they're pretty darn good over there. Literally across the street, right? Uh, Yeah, they share a parking lot. I'm in a giant parking garage. That parking garage, actually, top floor of it's the Bengals outdoor practice facility. Cubs over the Mariners, 14-9. Indianapolis Indians short in against the St. Paul Saints yesterday by score 10-6. 11-05, first pitch over at Victory Field for the Indians. Uh, last night in the NBA, we got the first round of play-in games, and for the first time in the history of the play-in, which I think is only a couple years, uh, the Miami Heat, a seven seed, has lost. They lost to the Hawks last night, so that means Atlanta will be the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They will take on the Celtics. So right now we have three series in the East. Celtics, Hawks, Sixers, Nets, Cavs, Knicks. The Bucks will await the winner of one of three teams. The Heat are still alive. 
Uh, but they will take on the winner of tonight's matchup. That is the Raptors and Bulls. So it's a must-win game for Toronto or Chicago. The winner of that will then take on Miami. And then the winner of that game will be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Out west last night, it was LeBron, Anthony Davis, and the Lakers coming back to beat the Timberwolves. Minnesota had a 15-point lead on the road. And for the 19th time this year, they blew a double-digit lead. They lost in overtime. Actually, it was the Lakers um, that blew it late, late. That was Anthony Davis fouling Mike Conley on a three with .1 on the clock. Conley hit all three free throws, and the Lakers won in overtime. Here was LeBron last night on that wild end of regulation. No, I mean, we, we, we discussed it on the bench. Um, you know, the play was between me and AD. We discussed it on the bench, and then, okay, uh, we move forward. I mean, uh, you know, because uh, we still got five more minutes to play, you know, so, um, and, uh, you know, and that's how we started overtime. I mean, we outscored them um, in OT 10 to 4. So we was able to, you know, recalibrate, get our game back, and then uh, go on. I think we scored the first five points of overtime, and, uh, you know, it was good for us. I'll tell you what, between, you know, LeBron with 30 and 10, and then Anthony Davis, if he's healthy, 24 and 15 last night. I don't sleep on the Lakers, I'm telling you. Dennis Schroeder was huge off the bench with 21. So it'll be the Lakers-Grizzlies. That is the 2-7 matchup out west. Kings-Warriors is 3-6. 4-5, the Suns versus the Clippers. Paul George out to start that series due to a knee injury. It'll be the Nuggets as the one seed awaiting... Uh, Pelicans Thunder winner tonight will take on the Timberwolves. One of those three teams will take on the Nuggets out west. Now, Mark, you swooshed. Is there another sport we should be talking about? I mean, there's always sports going on. Yeah, of course. You're off to Long Beach, right? Yeah. Yeah, Long Beach uh, Friday. So the the race will be on Sunday, the Grand, the Long the Long Beach Grand Prix. Easy for me to say. I believe, Scotty Johnson can correct me, I believe that's a noon Eastern start. Is that right? Or, excuse me, a three Eastern start? Yes. Noon Pacific. Also, Colts converted some of DeForest Buckner's contract money, so moving some salary cap space around. There's some news there, too. Yeah, we talked with Stephen Holder about that again. I, I tend to think a little bit more possible contract extensions than anything, but certainly something to note on that. And Shane Steichen will meet the media later today. The first week of the Colts offseason program is underway. All right, we come back. We will hit up the pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Give us a call. Pop quiz is next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Okay, I'm looking at it right here. The hardest pop quiz I've ever seen. Come on. This is easy. Zero chance. Three, four, and five? Yeah, four is easy. I mean, the only saving grace is multiple choice. <laughs> okay. You're really encouraging people to call in for the pop quiz for their chance at a Jiffy Lube oil change, right? Just a dose of knowing what they're calling in for is is important. Okay. 
Now, if you listen to the show, we did mention number one. Correct. And again, the first time in NBA history that we don't have a Texas team in the playoffs. Another state in relation to this question here. Okay. Uh, based on that, since you said it's the first time there's not been a Texas team, should we just go with number one? Let's do it. Who we got, Mark? Matt. What's up, Matt? How you doing, gentlemen? Doing well, Matt. How are you? Good, good. You Matt. sound like a you sound like a jovial fellow. Are you normally a jovial fellow, Matt? Oh, it's awesome. Every day is a good day. Matt, you also seem locked in. Are you ready to go? Oh, I was born ready for this. Uh, are you a Lance Stevenson fan? Um, yeah. Matt, let me ask you this. When you were a senior in high school, if you think back to your senior year of high school, who was the biggest sports superstar in the country in your senior year of high school? Oh, that would have been Jordan. I graduated in 96, so. Yeah, you're right in the peak of the Jordan. That's Jordan era, that's for sure. Are you turning left? I am turning right. Okay. Long wait. Hands free, I hope. Um, Okay, let me ask you this other question, Matt. So you graduated from high school in 1996. Who was your biggest high school rival? What what was the high school that was your biggest rival? Uh, I would probably say Warren Warren Central or Pike. Okay, so you went to either... I'm going to guess you went to Ben Davis. Correct. Okay. Oh, nice. All right. Well, we'll speak slowly. My uh, father taught at Fulton for a while. You know Brad Bowen by chance? Um, I know um, Mr. Bowen. I do. Oh, okay. You got any thoughts? Did he you know, blow the whistle aggressively in uh, PE class? Uh, he, he never taught me, I, um, but I knew him, yes. Now, Matt, were you an athlete in school? Uh, I played a little bit of baseball, but, but didn't play in high school. I decided to... To go to work, make some money. So yeah, that was Matt, nothing wrong with that. At, at that age, growing up on the West Side, were you like all aboard Captain Comeback and what the Colts were doing? Oh yeah, I remember watching it in the back of of the business I worked at the the Hell Mary attempt. Oh, it was before Peyton. It was the best time. I still am convinced that. Aaron Bailey caught that ball. I, I have no idea how that thing scored it out. And people forget earlier in that game. Uh, had Quentin Coriot held on to the interception or Lamont Warren not been tripped up on third down, they yeah, advanced. Or, Cor- or yeah. Cordell not stepping out of bounds. Well, Just that too, man. Out. That's that's the big one. Just ridiculous. God, well, what um, could have been? Okay. Like my first sports yeah, moment. Before, before, you know, this year, that was one of the best sports moments of my life. Like, it was a pretty good year. Sure, sure. Incredible run. Well, Matt, thanks for calling in. Um, Jake, you want to lead off with number one? All right, here we go. Question number uh, one for you, Matt. I want to say, first of all, I'm sorry. I want to say thanks for Kevin for reaching out um, after the BD championship. I appreciate it. This is Zane's dad. Oh, so I appreciate that. what's up, Matt? Congrats hey, to Zane. Going? That was an incredible effort, man. That was, uh, yeah. that was a hell of a performance to watch, and good luck to Zane here in the pending college choice. Oh, I appreciate it. Okay, question number one. For, so th- you said that's your son, right? Yes. Okay. Question number one for you, Matt. Um, now that your son has reopened his commitment, or excuse me, his recruiting in terms of college basketball, next year you most likely will be watching him play for who? Um, the college of his choice. <laughs> Come on, now he's a smart fellow here. He's not hey, he's Matt for that. Matt, we've talked about him on this show, and you probably heard me say. 
I was like, this has the writing all over it of like three years from now watching the NCAA tournament for him on a really good team as a really mature player and helping somebody in a nice run in the tournament. Um, so best of luck on that. Um, I appreciate it. Question number one. With the Lakers advancing as the seventh seed in the West, now let, let, we'll wait for the emergency vehicles to oh, go past. Okay. I'm parked. You're good. Okay. Um, with the Lakers advancing now as the seventh seed in the West, and their win over the Timberwolves last night. All four California NBA teams are in the 2023 NBA playoffs. When was the last time that all four California teams made the playoffs in the same season? It never happened before. That's Matt listens to the show. You aren't going to sneak anything by him. All right, number two here. The Sabres of Buffalo lost last night and were eliminated from NHL playoff contention. The Sabres' 12-year playoff drought puts them in a tie for the longest active playoff drought in the four major North American sports leagues. Who are they tied with? And I think a fire truck driving by might be a good hint for this one. A, the Seattle Mariners, B, the Detroit Tigers, C, the New York Jets, or D, the Charlotte Hornets? Oh, I want to... It's one of those last two. Um, And their last playoff win would have been here, Scotty, or one of their last ones would have been in Indy? Oh, that that was the Jets. Okay, uh, question three. Luis Arise became the first player in Miami Marlins history to hit for the cycle last night. The Marlins were the last Major League Baseball franchise to have never had a player hit for the cycle. Which team has gone the longest without a player hitting for the cycle? The Cubs, the Royals, the Phillies, or the Red Legs? Oh, this is a guess on this one, but I'm going to go with the Phillies. All right, number four here, Matt. The Celtics played the NBA Finals for 10 straight seasons from 1957 through 1966. They lost only one of those 10 series. Who kept the Celtics from winning 10 NBA championships in a row? A, the St. Louis Hawks, B, the Minneapolis Lakers, C, the LA Lakers, or D, the San Francisco Warriors? It's a city in which I have previously worked, Matt. That could be any any of them. Oh, I'll take St. Louis. Okay. Last question for you. On this day in 1909, the first Major League Baseball stadium made of steel and concrete opened. Many of the workers during its construction enjoyed steak and cheese sandwiches. Was it Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, Scheib Park in Philadelphia, the Polo Grounds in New York, or Crossley Field in Cincinnati? Scheib Park. That's... Boy, I thought this was pretty difficult. I should have known Matt was calling in there. Uh, Matt, how's Zane's shoulder doing? Oh, he's fine. No no issues at all, man. All good to go. A little bit, little bit injured before the regionals, and he just taped them both up just to go through. But no, no, no worries. Matt, you know the thing that made Ben Davis's championship, I thought, so great? And as a parent, I want you to, to tell me if this is an accurate statement because you saw it obviously up close. That was a true team. You know, it wasn't like there was one guy that was the dominant player. I mean, that just felt like that was a group of kids that just each one knew their role, did their role, and that as a group, the sum was a lot stronger than any necessarily of the individual parts, all of which were pretty strong, but that they were just willing to do whatever they could to help their teammate. Is that a fair statement? I 1,000% agree. I I think... 
there's a couple of kids on there that could win out and, and for uh, been selfish and probably had better stats, but it wasn't about that. They, they decided last year after losing to Cathedral that they wasn't going to lose another game, and including in the summer, they went 53 and out. So um, it was a heck of a run for them kids. Certainly one of the best teams the state has seen in quite some time. I did see Mark Zachary yesterday. I think got offered by Penn State. I mean, you talk about yes. talk about quite the football talent. He's just a sophomore. Uh, Going to be impressive he, to watch him. He is a heck, heck of an athlete, but he's even better kid. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, well, great work, Matt, on the pop quiz. So you got number one right. He listens to the show. He knows this is the first time. Correct. All four California teams have made the NBA playoffs. Uh, the New York Jets, their last playoff game, the loss to the Steelers in the 2010 AFC Championship. What are you doing in here, cutie? Watching football. Who do you want to win? <laughs> the damn Jets. <laughs> so, Scotty, the wild card game, Colts that year? That would have been Jets over the Colts here, Peyton's last game? Beat New England, lost to the Steelers, Scotty says. The lone slip-up was number three. Got St. Louis Hawks right, got Shy Park right. Boy, he was confident in uh, the Shy Park one. Uh, number three, Jake, though? Uh, question number three. The team that has now gone the longest without a player hitting for the cycle, the last guy to do it for this franchise was the year before they went wire-to-wire to win the World Series, Eric Davis and the Cincinnati Reds. You blow it! You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? <laughs> it's so pathetic to be a Reds fan. <laughs> oh. They need to get Brady Ware, right? The UND kid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the they're not going to get Shohei next year. So. When's the last time they, they the threw a no-hitter? Well, thanks, Mark, for breaking that news. Um, <laughs> I was on pins and needles thinking we'd be getting Shohei Otani. Um, I am curious for a guy like Zane Dowdy, Jake. You know, you can get kind of late into this process. It's got to be, I would think, a tad awkward and certainly a tad different from like a Zane Dowdy situation six years ago when you didn't have the transfer portal. Now it's like... The senior year kids that either blow up on the scene, or in Zane's case, he obviously was committed to Valpo, they make a coaching change, now he's reopened his recruitment, it seems like those guys are on the back burner for college programs. Right. It's like, oh no, no, we're going to do the transfer portal first, and then we'll see about you. And that's got to be pretty difficult, when considering it's April 12th and he's got no idea where he's going to go. Yeah, I, I do wonder where, and I mean, I is it still in play that you could stick with? I, I mean, obviously it is, I guess, right? Stick with Valpo? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and we mentioned earlier Roger Powell, who was on some of those great Illinois teams, um, former assistant for Bryce Drew. He's the new head coach of Valpo, but, you know, you almost have that feeling, like just insert random school, like let's say Belmont has interest in Zane. You know, if Belmont's looking at a, hey, this kid from Tennessee has entered the portal, he might be coming to our school. We're going to wait on him before we officially extend the offer to the high school senior. I do think that's an aspect that's really hurt that part of the recruiting process. Uh, really good morning this morning. Kevin Pritchard earlier, great conversation. That'll be up in podcast form. Gene Cady, the Hall of Famer, and Stephen Holder as well. We'll come back and put a bow tie on all of it here. Kevin and Quarry on a gorgeous Wednesday, 93.5. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 107.5 The Fan. Certainly have a lot of time here the next couple of months to go over the NBA draft and you know, the lottery coming up next month and the coin flip situations involving the Pacers. Um, ESPN, Jonathan Gavoni just came out with <clears throat> his latest mock draft. Uh, Cam Whitmore from Villanova going to the Pacers at 7. You know, we were talking to Kevin Pritchard earlier. I, I just feel like the focus for that selection has got to be a little bit more defensive-minded. A couple guys going ahead of him. Kind of sounded like he thought that too, right? Yeah. Uh, Jarris Walker out of Houston, probably more of a power forward. And then Asar Thompson. There's a there's Thompson twins from that overtime elite. We talked about them before in the show. Um, that would be an avenue that I would pursue. He's got both those guys, Walker and one of the Thompsons, going just above the Pacers there at 7. Jalen hood Shafino, Jake, 15 to the Hawks. Uh, the Pacers then come back again, and they've got a couple of later first-round picks. Chris Murray from Iowa. Interesting. He kind of feels like he's just starting to come into his own, too. I would agree. I would be very happy uh, if Good the Pacers outside made a move there. I love the Thompson Twins, by the way. That Hold Me Now was a great song. Um, it's Dr. Doctor. Good one. In my opinion, that sucked. I'm just telling you. Thank you, Mark. Shannon Um, Walsh, a huge fan of the Thompson Twins. And then I, uh, uh, namesake of my son, Maxwell. Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine with the 29th pick. It'd be a fun place to go to school. Um, this one is interesting as well. At 32, the Pacers, Andre Jackson of UConn. For those that watch UConn this year, kind of their glue guy. Did a little bit of everything. He goes one spot ahead of Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, another namesake that you'd mentioned, because you mentioned the last name of Walker amongst those. Um, my buddy Charlie Walker, who is one of those guys that I've known for a long time. Runs a business right here in downtown Indianapolis, Petrie Jewelers, and... Aside from that, this time of year puts on his uh, his other hat, which is a baseball hat, and helping out kids with the Allisonville Youth Baseball, Softball and Baseball League for kids with disabilities. And we talked to Charlie about this last year, and that enabled a couple of kids that were not aware of it to be able to come out and enjoy it. Um, and he just called in to, to talk about that real quick. Charlie, I'll tell you what, man, it is absolutely a gorgeous week, gorgeous morning in particular, and you look out and you think to yourself, man, this feels like Little League Baseball season, and I love the fact that you are making sure that that possibility exists for all kids. Oh, man, thanks, Jake. Um, You know, first of all, you two are characters, and I I do enjoy tuning in on your show, and and, and the knowledge, oh my God, the, the sports knowledge between the two of you. Thank you, Charlie. I tend to think of Jake as more of the character, to be honest with you. I'd Come on now. I think more of a professional feel, maybe from this side of it. Oh, you guys are too funny, though. <laughs> but listen, thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes out of your your show to let me just kind of you know throw this out there. You know, we have this Challengers Baseball League, and um, we we cater to those special needs angels kids, and it's not just kids, young youth, and even even adults. And so I'm just trying to reach out to the people of Indianapolis, you know, whoever's tuning in on this show, that if you have a special needs son or daughter, you know, or brother, 
Um, we would love for them to come out and get on the ball diamond with us. And the parents, grandparents, whoever interacts with these these folks get to sit in the bleachers and we get them out on the ball diamond. They don't need to know how to throw a ball, catch a ball, or even hit a ball. And we have buddies that work with us. And those are usually, uh, you know, ball team players from other schools, uh, girls that play softball, uh, all ages. And we let these kids just, and young adults and adults, have the time of their life. And I want, I want to get that news out there, and they can, they can contact us, and we would love to get them on the ball diamond, Jake. So, Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, most people that listen to the program have my cell phone number because I've given it out a thousand times, but I'll give it out one more time. Easiest way to do it will be if you want to reach out to me, I'll get you the information to get in touch with Charlie and the website for the organization. Uh, my cell phone number is 523 523- 9288 that's obviously a 317 area code 523-9288 and i'll get you the information for the allisonville youth baseball softball challengers division charlie i think the thing that's great about this and you and i've talked about this um in the last couple minutes here but you know when i look back on my time growing up in the northeast side of indianapolis i think about playing at allisonville little league and getting the snow cone afterwards and just being around my buddies and having my friends to hang out with that that evolved into going to movies together and driving around and doing what kids do. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that for some kids, life's challenges prohibit them from having that same bonding feeling with their peers to be able to do those things. And this gives them that sense of belonging that I think is just so incredibly important. Wow, Jake. That's you're very perceptive, and that that hits it really on the nail head. You know, um, a lot of these kids and young adults and adults, they just don't get the phone call from the button their friends and say, "Let's go for a cruise," or "Let's go out and get you know a sandwich," or "Let's go to the movies." And this baseball interaction is a huge part of their life, and so many of them look forward to it every season. And there's so many out there that don't have this experience, and we want to give it to them. And so just once again, thank you for letting me get on your program and, you know, throwing this out there because, you know, we're, do, we're doing the good Lord's work, and, and I appreciate everything you guys do with, with, you know, with the sports side. And so let's work together and make this happen. And Charlie, so – oh, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say, I, I was looking online because um, I, I want to make sure that, that we give this out, and maybe Mark can even tweet it out from our show account – AYBSindy.com, is that correct? AYBS? Yeah. Right, right. And it's, it's Challengers Baseball. And our first game, just so you guys know, our first game is this Saturday, and it's going to be every Saturday till the first week in June. And it's there at the Clearwater, which used to be Wyandotte. It's, it's the Clearwater Elementary School. And they can just show up at 930 and just have them show up, and I can register them right there. They don't even have to worry about going online to register. They can show up starting this Saturday at nine, you know, between nine and nine thirty. We'll register them right there at the Ball Diamond, and boom, we'll just get them, get them right, in, you know, right into the game. You know, the other thing, aybsindy.com, aybsindy.com. The other thing, Charlie, that's cool about this, in conclusion. You know, I, I think that we think, oh, you know, this is great because the kids that are coming out with the, the disabilities that are being helped by members of local high school baseball or softball teams or, you know, the, the big kids that are helping them out, 
and you think that it's the big kids that are helping out and i'm gonna bet charlie that a lot of those big kids are actually being helped out with a little life perspective and appreciation from those kids they're helping out and that there really is a symbiotic relationship between the two Oh, man. Once again, Jake, you've hit it on the head. That's exactly right. You see, it, it gives them experience that they would really never have, that, that, that direct interaction with special needs. And, and it's, not, it's not just high school kids. You know, Bishop Chittard's and one of, our, one of our best that always shows up. We've got the young little peewee girls and, and you know, the youth uh, girls softball and in the minor league boys and it's it's amazing the people that step up to the plate to be buddies with these and it is it's such a wonderful experience it's just all the way around so i just can't say enough about it but thanks again for for letting these people possibly hear this out on the airwaves so we can we can bring them in charlie charlie just want to say thank you um here to close My, my mom taught special ed for 30 years and so my brother and i were very fortunate to be you know, really exposed to you know, organizations like what, what you're trying to do here, you know, obviously Special Olympics, and just provide that opportunity for a little bit of normalcy and to see the joy on those kids' faces. Um, I have such vivid images in my head right now thinking back on those moments when, when I was able to witness that. So thank you for doing that. Again, we'll make sure to continue to plug AYBSindy.com. That's Allisonville Youth Baseball Softball Clearwater Elementary on 79th Street this Saturday morning at 930. Charlie, thanks. Time's a million, man. God bless you, Jake. God bless you, Kevin. And keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's awesome, stuff, man. Oh, it's great. And, and, you know, I mean, I have a friend whose daughter played in it and and absolutely loved it. And, you know, Charlie also – the other thing that's fun is Charlie is a side hobby. You know, he has helicopters. He gets those to fly over before the games at the end of the season, you know, for the oh, kids really and cool. uh, the whole deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really is a neat thing. So, and open again to uh, essentially any young person, young adult that anywhere in Indianapolis, you don't have to be from the Northeast side. So and very cool. AYBSindy.com. That link is on our Twitter page, by on the way. That. Thank you, Mark. So yeah, Kevin and Corey Twitter page has got, it covered there. Uh, Kevin Pritchard, Stephen Holder, Gene Cady. A pretty good trio there. And tomorrow, Bob Costas. Really looking forward to that. We can ask Costas about like 10,000 different topics, right? I was right? going to say, you can go a little bit of everywhere. Go from 9 to noon tomorrow with, with Bob him. Costas. Obviously, his relationship with Bob Knight, well-documented. Um, you know, he was, he was the intro voice right here at Market Square Arena when... Michael Jordan had his return. Pretty iconic intro there on NBC for that game. Um, I'd say kind of one of the cooler, more under-radar, under-the-radar events you think about the city of Indianapolis ever hosting, Jake. You know, it's a regular season game, so maybe it gets lost in the shuffle, but... Uh, obviously a ton of attention when MJ made his return. You know, it's it's funny, too, because the in hindsight, when you think about that, think about the way the world has changed. That announcement from Michael Jordan that he was going to come back to that game at Market Square Arena against the Pacers in his return uh, was simply a fax, right? A, a, a fax that was sent that simply said, I'm back. Mm-hmm. That would be a tweet today, right? Yeah. Or didn't you say something to Bloomington when you left Lawrence and came to Bloomington? Like, the state of Indiana, I'm back. <laughs> That's right. As soon as I crossed the state line. I've said this in the last... Actually, I said, what smells? Because it was Terre Haute. <laughs> I said that... Oh, boy, that was harsh. Uh, enjoy the weather. It is a beautiful week. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.